I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Claire, what is Celebrity Memoir Book Club? Well, first and foremost, it is a comedian's book club led by two comedians who are, as some people may have guessed, trying to be funny. Do we hit the mark? That's for you to decide. But I will say we are kidding, but we are also reading books and maybe taking a deeper approach than some other book clubbers would. This is not a Wikipedia page, okay? This is a thoughtful analysis of some of the dumbest works of literature ever put onto God's green earth. This isn't Wikipedia. This is WikiHow. We ask Wiki, how did this get written and what do they mean? And we take into consideration that, you know, not everybody's telling the truth. There's Three kinds of truth. Their truth, someone else's truth, and then our truth. And which one's always right? Ours. (laughs) Always. Before we get started, if you like what we're doing, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. I read our five-star reviews on iTunes at the end of this podcast. And even if I don't see the username, I appreciate you so, so much. We also have merch, which is linked in the show notes. And we do a weekly comedy show every single Thursday at 7 p.m. at Nikki's Unisex in Williamsburg. So if you are in the New York City area and you love to laugh, come by sometime. And another treat for the New York area, mark your calendars right this second. February 27th, we will be doing a live podcast in Williamsburg. Our first official, like, honest to God, live podcast show. It's going to be so much fun. So mark your calendars now. Tickets will be available soon, and we will obviously let you know when that happens. It's Sunday, February 27th, 8 p.m. Okay, and then, oh my God, can I say one more thing, Ashley, or are we out of things? Yeah, of course. I do also finally want to plug, we just hit our Patreon goal where we promised we would start doing a fifth monthly episode every month. We are starting our new segment, Worm to the Wise, where you can write in and get advice from none other than the two biggest idiots you've ever Mm -hmm. heard in your lives. If you want to hear how me and Ashley, two people who have nothing but perfect lives, (laughs) would handle your problems, send us your drama. We will chat about it on the Patreon. We're so excited. Worm to the Wise, our new advice column, a bonus episode one Sunday a month. Yeah, and we do have a form. So if you have questions to ask, that form is linked in our Patreon where you can submit your questions and let us know exactly how hard you want us to come down on you if you want true to God advice or if you want us to soften the blow. Yeah, because that is important. Sometimes friends don't really want to hear the truth. And that is a a pill I have choked and nearly died on. (laughs) I almost left you there dead. I thought, should I resuscitate her or is it not worth it? Because what she said was pretty hard to hear. Uh, But we made it through. Now we're back. And I just have one question, Ashley. Of course. If you were to write a memoir, what would the chapter of last week be called? It would be called Pop Life because I am a popsicle just living my life. Can I ask you guys a question? Has winter always been this cold? No. (laughs) This one's really cold and I forgot. I like forgot about it. Every year I forget about it. I'm always like, I'm so excited for winter because I love to be all snuggled up. And then winter happens and I'm just like, what the literal fuck is this? Who did this to the earth? That's not nice. I know that I've been like negative the last couple of weeks and my life has been pretty good. But right now I am the sixth maroon. I'm in fucking misery. It is not good over here. (laughs) We all listen to Maroon 5 a lot. That's how sad I am right now. That's how cold I am. I have a piggyback on that. So ask me about me. Claire, Mm -hmm. if you were to write a memoir about your week, what would you call this chapter? So close. Better luck next time. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so this year I'm trying to work on my style because I have a tendency to wear sweatpants as much as possible. And now that I don't really have a job, it's every day. As much as possible is like, it's always possible. It's (laughs) never not possible. I'll tell you one thing. Is she going to dress up to see me? Certainly not. 
And that's the only person I see. And so this year I had this new thing where I'm done trying to dress for my body type. I'm like down all these kibby holes. <laughs> you know about kibbies? I found out about the kibby body type from TikTok. It's like a body type analysis thing to help you dress for the lines of your body. And every single thing that I see about it gets more and more confusing. They are making it up as they go. It is Calvin Ball. But I was getting into that, getting into the, like, are you a summer, a winter? Are you a warm or a cold? And then You're I just, yellow. I am yellow. I have, like, a very jaundiced undertone. And yet somehow I'm blue. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, like, whatever the worst coloring you can have is. I'm, like, a chilled, dead person who's also still sickly looking. <laughs> That's my undertones. I don't know how I have both blue and yellow, but it's disgusting. I don't look good at anything. But anyway, my point is, I decided this year that in, like, a body neutrality step forward, I'm not going to try to dress my body type anymore. I'm just going to try to wear clothes that look cool because I'm sick of feeling trapped by being like, but does this look good on me? I don't care. If I think it looks good on the rack, I'm just going to wear it because I like it. And I'm going to LA next week and I have like a kind of cool gig where I have to sort of look cool. I'm doing this hosting gig for a makeup company for influencers and fashion editors. And I'm like, well, they're going to look cool. I'll try to look cool. So I really gave myself a lot of permission to go crazy and buy all these fun outfits. And I was so psyched about what I had bought. And then I just looked up the weather in LA. And did you know it's like 75 degrees there? I actually did know that because when you were telling me about your outfits, I looked up the weather and told you you were dressing too warm. Well, when I first looked it up, they said it would be like in the 50s, early 60s. And now we're looking at night weather. Yeah, I guess. I'm going to be on top of a bus in the middle of the day. So not one thing that I bought that I was so proud of is going to be applicable. I was dressed like a little snowman for LA and no one told me it's warm in LA. Okay. I am unfortunately going to have to call you on this one. Everyone tells you it's warm in LA. Can I tell you something honestly? Sure. I don't listen when people talk. (laughs) So there, you happy? You got it out of me. You don't have to listen to even people talking. Just... Tune into the Beach Boys. They're always talking about it. (laughs) Won't do it. You know, I don't listen to music. Anyway, I felt like really excited about the steps forward I was taking with my personal style and my personal freedom from having like a body prison. And you know what? Now you're in a weather prison. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm just like, okay, well, none of this will work. So I'm just shopping the the old closet, if you know what I mean. Dumpster diving in my own drawers. That's my week. We've tried to really keep it fun and light up top because this is going to be an intense ass episode. This episode is going to be thick, like vanilla pudding dyed green and used as Nickelodeon slime. All right. Ashley's giving away all the good (laughs) goss. So this week, of course, we are doing Jamie Lynn Spears' book. I mean, we have to preface this. This comes from a 13-year conservatorship. This comes from, I mean, two entire adult lives of being thrust into the spotlight and abuse and torment and Hollywood and family drama Here's how it's going to go. Me and Ashley come from a Britney Spears background. That's actually what we got our degrees in. We had Who's With Tabs. Who's With Tabs is our first podcast. Hold on one second. We're talking about Britney Spears, where we talked about Britney Spears for 86 episodes and then stopped when the news of her conservatorship started coming more and more to light. And we felt not that comfortable speculating about it. Yeah. Some people may not know this, but we actually stopped the podcast because we did not want to exploit the situation anymore, especially since we were comedians and we were not lawyers. We didn't know and we didn't feel... It was our right to be prying into information we truly could not understand. But now that information is public. We did, as some of you may know, like go back and forth on whether or not to do the Jamie Lynn book because I don't know, for anybody that's been following the Britney Spears saga for the last two, three years, it is heartbreaking. And I think we talked to Troy McGurdy from the Dunzo podcast and Beyond the Blinds podcast. And he shared this feeling of to have had an inkling of what was going on for the last few years and watch that inkling create like a crack in the foundation, which eventually overturned 
the conservatorship and then find out that all of our worst fears was right was not this vindicating, validating moment of like a celebration. I mean, I'm happy for her, but I didn't step away and go, oh, good. I was right. She was a prisoner for 13 years and drugged out of her mind and like exploited by her own family. Like, it yeah. hasn't been fun to find out that we were right. After the conservatorship was overturned recently, people were DMing me like, aren't you happy Britney's free? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm happy she's free. I'm not celebrating because she's now spent 14 years not free, which is really sad to find out. So that being said, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I feel 100% good about reading Jamie Lynn's book. I do see how this plays into the narrative of exploiting Britney. I felt proud of our decision to stop doing Who's With Tabs. We are obviously doing Jamie Lynn's book, but I'm not going to sit here and defend it with my life. Yeah, that's the thing is I do see both sides in giving attention to this book versus ignoring it entirely. I do think that there is a really complicated situation here. And I think that in order to understand it, I do want as much information as possible from every side. That being said, I'm going to choose from other sides what I believe and what I don't believe. I mean, at this point, we're pretty good at reading into what's blatant PR and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I also think that there is this narrative that there's one person in charge of the trauma that Britney's been through for the last several years. There's not. For a while, it was Jamie Spears. Everyone was like, we have to dethrone Jamie Spears. There was still an entire operation behind it. Now everyone's mad that Jamie Lynn couldn't single-handedly free her sister. Before we get into what she could or couldn't have done, I think that to say she could have single-handedly affected the whole situation. I mean, we just don't know we love to have a villain and yes. she's not the villain. She might be a villain. So we're going to get into her book and figure out where we stand on that. But she's not the villain. Yeah. And I do think that if you're comfortable berating her online and she is getting death threats, if you are okay publicly hating her, you should be okay with hearing what she has to say to defend herself. And I'm not saying you have to take it, but I do think if she's like, well, here's my side before you attack her, you should at least give her the benefit of hearing what she has to say because we read it and you can still attack her. So don't worry. <laughs> so we are about to read this book. We are trying to treat the book itself the way we would treat any book. We are going in, we're taking her at her word and using her words oftentimes against her. In the Patreon this week, we will do a much more diligent deep dive of the true Britney Spears timeline. We will get into the PR around the launch of this book, the Call Her Daddy interview the back and forth online with Brittany and Alexa Nicholas from Zoe 101. And we will get into more blind items and our personal opinions. And we'll let, we'll let how we really feel out more than we do in this episode. But this, we're going to make as much as possible a true CNBC episode where we read the memoir so that you don't have to and tell you what we think. Let's dive into it. So the book begins with a letter from Jamie Lynn to us. And it's mostly just her thanking us for reading this about how she feels she's never really been able to speak out. She says, for most of my adult life, I've remained quiet and kept to myself out of respect for my own family and to protect the privacy of the ones I love. She now says she's ready as an adult to break that silence, defend herself, and... She says, writing has been cathartic and set me on the road of healing. My intention in sharing my story is to help others and convey love and compassion for things we still don't understand about each other. She also specifies during this writing process, there have been a lot of personal life events over which I had no control that affected the safety and well-being of me and my family. So she really immediately jumps in with this narrative that the Britney situation and her situation are separate. Mm -hmm. She can't control the Britney situation, 
but it is affecting her. Jamie Lynn Spears was born April 4th, 1991. She is nine years younger than Britney Spears and 12 years younger than the oldest brother, Brian Spears. She was born to obviously <laughs> Jamie and Lynn Spears. <laughs> it is interesting that her name doesn't have an E at the end of it. Lynn Spears is L-Y-N-N-E and Jamie Lynn is just L-Y-N-N. I do feel like when you're just combining two names to really just drop a single letter is a fucking weird move. It is so funny for them to be like, well, her first name's after Jamie and the second name is just something we really like the sound of. <laughs> it's like, oh, was she named for her mom? No. <laughs> her mom has an E. This is just Lynn. This is a different name entirely. <laughs> it really does like immediately open you up to the illiteracy of the Spears family. This book, by the way, I'm calling the book written by thesaurus.com. One of the funniest parts of it is very clearly they went through and just right click synonymed half of the words in this book. So she opens up, from what I can ascertain, these were lean times talking about when she was born. <laughs> like from what you can ascertain. So she talks about how when she was born, her mom already had her hands full with two kids. They had planned on not having more kids. Jamie was supposed to have gotten a vasectomy. And of course, he didn't do it right somehow. He didn't go to the follow-up appointments. I think what happens, they like clog your sperm hole and then sometimes it could get dislodged. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Ashley. That does not sound right. <laughs> but maybe that's what happened. <laughs> but what she does get across is that daddy was often in and out. Mama was so busy with the three kids, she didn't have any time to worry about what he was doing. When he was around, he spent much of his time in a chair trying to convince everyone else that he wasn't drunk. So one thing that we have known for a long time about Jamie Spears is that he is an alcoholic. And for a lot of the kids' youth, he struggled with that pretty heavily. The beginning of her childhood, before Britney got hugely famous, they were just a regular small town Southern family. A lot of cookouts, a lot of neighbors coming in and out all the time. She had a happy life. She says her older siblings were obsessed with her, that Britney was like a second mother to her, which is a huge theme throughout this book, is the way that she saw Britney as a mother. And she then takes this and extrapolates it to mean Britney was responsible for her well-being and happiness. And also that she needed Britney's approval the way a child would need a mother's approval. Mm -hmm. They were nine years apart. So it was... A lot. She says that Britney would get her ready for school. And a lot of times her mom was basically a single mom. The dad was in and out a lot. And I think Britney did help take over a lot of the child rearing duties. Yes. But whether or not she should have had to do that is a whole separate convo. So she says, my daddy was well known for developing businesses and was good at every job he took on. So he would often develop a business and then it would go under. So I don't know that he was great at every job he took on. But I mean, as you said in the Lynn Spears book, there is this narrative that he was this great businessman. And that's why he was always starting businesses. And then it's like, that's a really interesting interpretation of somebody who keeps having failed businesses. <laughs> I'm so good at businesses that I start a new one every other week. <laughs> My true talent is starting a business. Running a business, no, that's not me. That's somebody else, but I could start it. Yeah. So something that's interesting about this book, I think, is that she goes into very little specific details. She gives generalizations and she gives descriptions. So there's a lot of descriptions of like, my daddy was a drunk. He would come and go. And it's always done in this almost playful way. Like, as I said, she was like, he spent a lot of time trying to convince everyone he wasn't drunk or there was a funny time he'd come in and he'd be like falling all over himself. He's almost seen as this bumbling town drunk and not just the father who was walking out on her constantly and abandoning the family for long swaths of time. She says he was never abusive, but she never gets into like, what did it mean when he was drunk? But she does go on to even say his drinking gave her so much anxiety as a child that she would beg her mom not to tell him when her basketball games were because to see him made her afraid. Yeah. And also he would embarrass her. He caused a scene a lot. He caused her a lot of anxiety. There were long periods of time when after she and her mom had moved to California, we'll get into this later, she would refuse to see him. Yes. But it's left very unclear 
what kind of behaviors led to that. It's weird because she's admitting on the one hand that he was so awful that he would leave and she wanted him gone. But then on the other hand, it's done this very loving kind of sweet way. Whereas when she talks about her mom, she gets very specific about the things her mom did wrong. So she tells this story about her mom being so frustrated that her dad showed up late to a family event drunk that she had somebody put an ice box outside and then she went and got a shotgun and just shot it and destroyed it out of frustration and anger. And this is like a story to show how scary her mom was. And it's like, Okay, well, what about your dad? It's very par for the course. Fuck my mom who tried to raise me, but I love my dad who, you know, he just had some problems. <laughs> yeah. He was trying his best. I mean, I think that that's a theme through every single book we've ever read is that moms are doing something wrong and dads are trying their best. I mean, she blames her mom in this book even for not keeping boundaries enough against her dad. She says part of it was my dad's drinking, but the other part of it was the fact that my mom could never say no to him and that she would put him first a lot of the time and that we all lived on eggshells to try to keep him happy. Right. And then another layer gets added to the mix. Brittany's career starts taking off. She doesn't really talk a lot about Brittany's early career, but we know from Lynn's book that they started shopping her around pretty young. And then she made it onto the Mickey Mouse Club. And she says, my sister's rise to fame brought profound changes to our family dynamics. Mama and daddy knew that Britney's long-term success was a long shot, but they were going to do everything possible to get her in front of the right people, build the proper team and ensure that she was compensated accordingly. That is such a bizarre way to talk about the rise of her career. My parents' number one goal was making sure she was compensated properly. Then she goes on to say that this dynamic changed and that everyone made sure her needs were met and we all became responsible for helping her as she reached a greater level of success. We needed to keep her happy and productive. It really is interesting that there's no mention of protection. It's like we need to get her in front of the right people. We need to get her the right team. We don't need to protect her sanity. We need to protect her productivity. And this also starts the seeds of what Jamie Lynn takes as responsibility and the Britney conservatorship and the fallout of her and Britney currently, which is that I was taught to defer to Britney or behave in a way that made things easier for her. Mama said stuff like, come on, Jamie Lynn. We don't want to upset your sister. Let Britney do that first. There's this beginning of this idea that everyone had to work around Britney. That as if like the whole family worked for Britney and it's a blame that she kind of takes out on Britney right and not the family and the people around her who were creating this dynamic for Britney I think that if she wanted to treat Britney like a sister she could have I guess it is hard to be a kid being like no this is what I want to do and this is what I think is right of course she doesn't understand that but now as an adult it's not Britney saying everyone has to do what I say. It's the parent saying we have to keep Britney productive. Another interesting story that comes out of this chapter, which is like just another bizarre look at what she thinks a specific incident proves is she tells a story about her mom trying to teach Britney how to drive and Jamie Lynn's in the backseat and Britney, like something happens where she swerves and they crash into a ditch and they're instructed to lie to the dad about who was driving and they have to all say that Lynn was driving because they're so afraid that Jamie will get mad if he finds out it was Britney who crashed. Jamie Lynn sees this as an example of mama always cared more about daddy's feelings than doing the right thing. Mama often put us in a difficult position rather than confronting the situation head on. We all pretended, said things or stayed quiet as mama asked to make sure that daddy was placated and their relationship remained intact. As the family of an emerging pop star, we all had to learn how to manage information and secrets in a protective manner. We protect each other at all costs. This is sort of the Jamie Lynn story as regards to her sister is that the only thing she's guilty of is not telling the truth either to Britney's face or to the public, but in an attempt to protect the Britney machine, which I don't think she sees as different than Britney. Right. And also the people that she places the blame on. This is her mom's fault for asking her to lie so that their like alcoholic father doesn't explode. There's no like, I wish my dad didn't put us in that situation. There's my mom put us in the situation to protect Britney, who I'm now mad at. 
it's just interesting where she places the blame. So things between Lynn and Jamie are forever tumultuous. She says, all the effort we put into keeping daddy from losing his temper made me uneasy. I was too young to understand the complexities of their marriage, but I was wise beyond my years. That sentence makes literally no sense. It's underestimating kids, I think. Kids from a young age know when something's up with their parents. Yeah. To be like, I was smart because I knew my parents were unhappy. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't take a genius. And then to be like, but I didn't understand what was going on. It's like, okay, so you didn't understand what was going on. It's also just very interesting that she at any point refers to herself as wise beyond her years because another really common theme in this book is going back to her youngness. That she's just the kid and too much was expected of her. I also want to point out this point to explain why their relationship was so bad in her parents' marriage. She explains that her dad had a really tough upbringing, but there's no explanation of why her mom is the way her mom is. And I just think that that is very symptomatic of the weird empathy that she only has for her dad and not her mom. This is honestly a pretty tragic line. She says, mama's love for daddy was a powerful force and daddy was just different. (laughs) <laughs> tough stuff man. okay if he wanted to he would i believe the, the old saying goes they do go on to get a divorce in 2001 and it's finalized in 2002 but she says for the growth and management of my sister's stardom and my developing career they continue to work together regularly the chapter concludes with the philosophy so inherent to being a spirit has always been when everything is said and done we are a family we may not like or even love each other in a given moment but odds are it will pass and we'll find our way back We have carried on this way for decades, but as I matured, the demands on me to pretend that everything was fine forced me to sacrifice my own needs. I know we said we would talk about Britney at the end, but my God, the amount that she forgets that Britney sacrificed everything for their family is insane. I just really don't think Jamie Lynn understands that Britney Spears is a different person than Britney Spears, the brand. Yeah. And that everything that was done to say, tell the public we're fine, tell the public we can keep going, we will show up at work, is to keep the money coming in and not what's best for Britney. Yes. She seems to have no sense who benefited from this mentality of put on a mask and tell everybody it's okay. Because it was for her. Like it was for Jamie Lynn and she doesn't understand that. I don't know that. Why do you think it's for Jamie Lynn? I meant the Spears family. Who's profiting off of this situation? It's the Britney machine and the people involved. I would say it's like more for... I think Jamie really is the I mean, one. it's more for Jamie, but I will say Jamie Lynn, who's like barely worked a day in fucking 15 years, who lives in a nice house because her husband is making enough money. Like, like who's buying her condo, you know? And yeah. she has that house in Florida that is paid for by Brittany. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I do know. So what I'm saying is... But I do think at this point in time, as a child, this was not her choice. It was not her choice. I'm just saying that now as an adult looking back, this whole like we have to protect Britney was actually to protect the the family's lifestyle. Yes. Yes. I do think it's fair to give her the benefit of the doubt. I think there is a certain point where it's like you have to take responsibility for yourself. I think as long as she's a child, it is fair to be like when she was 12 years old, she wasn't the one pushing Britney. Of course. Then she gets into the rise of her own personal star. She was a star. As she says, the dream of being a performer was always mine, and in no way did I feel my parents were living vicariously through me. Singing was only part of what I loved about performing. My sister's voice was throaty and strong, while mine was fluid and controlled. People said that we were different, but equally talented. But my true love was acting. I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that no one said that. Well, I'm sure people said that, but people say anything. (laughs) I mean, I've said I love you to like a hundred (laughs) boyfriends. I want to say it again. I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that no one believed that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, only one of them is an international icon. And the other one is still trying to like remind you that she's related to an international icon. She writes, as Britney's fame grew, it caused a lot of strain on the family. Britney's career took her far from home and oftentimes mama traveled with her. 
I could tell mama was disconcerted by daddy's unreliability. So this is when her parents get divorced. She says, I think so much energy was directed to keeping my sister's career moving that my parents neglected to pay attention to each other. That is truly not it at all. Before your sister's career took off, your dad was drunk and disappearing for weeks at a time. If I recall correctly from Lynn's memoir, they were like on and off since the day they started dating. If I recall from Lynn Spears' memoir... Before Jamie Lynn had been born, she took Brian and Brittany and fully moved out. And then they ended up getting back together for like a year. Yeah, it's definitely Brittany's career that was the problem. Brittany finally said, Mama, if you leave Daddy, I will buy you a house. That promise came just the right time. But then Jamie Lynn goes on to complain, Daddy didn't live with us in the new house, but he'd show up whenever he wanted. And Mama carried on as she always had and let him in. For Mama, leaving Daddy was one thing. Staying away was completely different. She would justify his visits by saying, Jamie Lynn, he's still your father. Observing how my parents said one thing but did something else undermine my ability to trust them. Again, there is this problem where she like blames her mom for letting her dad in her life more than she blames her dad for being unreliable. And then this also, as Brittany's career is taking off, it is noticeable the change in Brittany already. She says she always experienced an adrenaline spike followed by exhaustion when she was done talking about her on tour, but her smile of gratification remained. At times it was unsettling how drained she was after a show, especially as the tour reached its fourth or fifth month. Between her schedule, rehearsals and performances, I could see how professional profoundly the exhaustion was affecting her. So during these first couple of tours, I think when everything was good and on the up and up, Jamie Lynn would tour with them. The entire family became part of the Britney machine. Brian, the older brother, was taken in by her management team and taught the ropes of managing. And Jamie Lynn was homeschooled on the bus. And it's here where she starts doing like little skits and acting and she would do characters. And she says constantly, Brittany sounds like the most supportive, amazing older sister in the world. She would get the entire crew to watch all of Jamie Lynn's little plays that she would put on every night. And Brittany would film them. And because of this, there was a scene of Jamie Lynn doing one of her little characters at the age of nine or 10 in the background of a Britney Spears behind the scenes VH1 video and she keeps claiming and I know this is not true that a production assistant at Nickelodeon saw the video got in the hands of the right people and she was given an opportunity to audition for all that on Nickelodeon that is definitely not how she got the all that audition but nevertheless she ends up on all that By the time the contracts were all signed and the cast was assembled, they had just turned 11. All that had a long summer shoot in L.A. When we started shooting, Mom and I flew out to California with my dog Izzy and stayed in the home that Britney shared with Justin Timberlake in Hollywood. So at this point, Britney is out on her own living with Justin Timberlake. She also says... My shooting schedule for the show created more havoc in our family. Brittany and Bryant were absorbed in their own projects, which provided mom the time to be with me in California. I think over the years, my parents developed a power struggle that intensified as my sister and then I became successful. In the end, all of the drama and the divorce were a waste anyway. Brittany's house gesture was in vain. After we moved, daddy still showed up whenever he wanted and mama simply let it happen. That is a different quote than what I read before. This book is incredibly redundant. She writes, it was a difficult period in my life. I came to resent the very man I wanted to adore. The years of yearning for dad to love me as I needed slowly turned to disdain. I always wanted to have dad in my life, but never knowing if he was drinking caused me profound anxiety. Much of that anxiety was a result of mama not doing what she should have done to protect me when he was on a bender. Again, this is not the fault of her dad being on a bender. It's the fault of her mom not knowing when to lock the door. Also, like what was happening on these benders? Yes. Was he an angry drunk? Was he, she says he wasn't ever abusive, but I just, do not believe it. I will say lines like this, he would appear enough to cause me distress. It was so much more than the embarrassment his actions caused. The anxiety interfered with my focus, blah, blah, blah. This is the man that they eventually signed on to control Britney's life. Look, 
I came into this book truly trying to not be a hater, <laughs> but she made it hard. The way that she tries to play both sides of my daddy was so awful that it nearly drove me insane, but also he stepped in and just tried to do what it took to be Britney's conservator. The idea that this man was so scary to her as a little girl that she begged her mom not to let him in her life is now in control of Britney, but that also she never really says anything truly damning. Like, oh, he was on a bender. Like, I've gone on benders. I just dance a lot. And yeah. And get mad at the DJ for not playing Britney Spears. But then meanwhile, it's Britney who crashed the car. And then we'll get into this. There's a story of abuse about her mom that's very specific. Yeah. There's no specific stories about her dad that I think when you read it, it leaves you with the opinion of like, he's pretty benign because there's nothing to latch on to. Right. Like, he just is a guy who drinks too much, but a guy who drinks too much to a point that his daughter fears him. And she says during her all that year, daddy finally sought out the help he needed and attended a rehab in California. At the time, this helped me settle into my work and enjoy my experience. I know from later in this book that he doesn't stay sober. Right. But it's weird that there's a bunch of moments where she goes, he finally cleaned up his act and stopped drinking. And then there'll be like a clause where it's like, except for the times he fell off the wagon. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, okay, so not yet really, but so then she gets into her time on all that. She loved it. She had a lot of fun. Great time. She loved the ensemble cast, but then she caught the eye of Dan Snyder and they went on to develop Zoe 101. Okay. Can I interject a personal opinion here? Of course. I would like to debunk a blind item. I know Ooh. that there's a lot of rumors online that Maddie Jamie Lynn's daughter is actually Dan Snyder's daughter. That girl looks just like Casey Casey Aldridge. I'm sorry, but that is Casey Aldridge's baby. It's in the eyebrows. It's in the face. And I mean, God bless her for it. Because I, and I stand by this, think Casey Aldridge is one of the hottest celeb adjacent men I've ever seen. And I will say, we'll save this more for the Patreon, I think. But Dan Snyder is absolutely a predator. Oh, 100%. But I think that this is just not his predatorial baby. I'm not saying that he never did anything to Jamie Lynn. I'm just saying that whatever he did to her or didn't do to her did not result in the creation of this baby. Right. Anyway, so she tells you once again how her star rises. My family will tell you I was a precocious child. I was outspoken and mature in some aspects of my life, blah, blah, blah. This also begins her personal problems with wearing the mask of being happy. That's another thing that she gets into this book is that Although I was sassy, I rarely felt comfortable sharing my anxieties and sadness about the shifting dynamics of my family. There were two versions of me, my public persona, my true self. This is another thing that she gets into a lot throughout the book, that she had to hide so much of who she was and what she was going through to keep the Spears family professionalism going. She also throws in a little line here about how innocent she was about boys and relationships. She had never kissed a boy. She never played Spin the Bottle, Seven Minutes in Heaven. This is a line that I think comes into play for a narrative later. And then we have more about how difficult balancing all of the Spears children's careers was. She says, much of the time I spent in Louisiana, my parents were traveling for work or to assist Brittany. My dad was working and mama was on the road with my sister for weeks at a time. She always wanted me to go on tour, but I craved the normalcy of being home. I'd already spent many of my formative years on my sister's tour bus and didn't want to spend my hiatuses on one now. So this is something that I feel mixed about. I get the mom's compulsion to keep the family all in one place, even though all in one place means traveling to many different places. Like that is really hard. And I also am curious about Jamie Lynn's need to be home and in Louisiana. She spends a lot of time going back to Louisiana whenever she needs grounding. The fact that they kept a house there this entire time is 
honestly bizarre to me. Like, it's weird that the whole family didn't just permanently move to California. I do find it interesting that she has this sort of back and forth of claiming that she wanted this life in the spotlight, but then also wanting to be home so badly and then wanting the family to sort of cater to her want for them to all be home in Louisiana. And that was just like very obviously not possible. It's one thing if she was like, I just wanted a normal life. I didn't want to be a star. I didn't want to be known whatever but she's like I wanted to have my own career going and then I wanted my time off to be all of our time off see I guess I feel like I have a bit more compassion for that of like a child that I do think as we always say every kid wants to be on the Disney channel it's your job as a parent to say no yeah I know that every kid on earth thinks that they want to be at like Camp Rock in the summer but a good parent is like no what's good for you is structure yeah I guess I agree that this was kind of on Lynn to see how clearly Jamie didn't do well with the lack of structure that came with being famous and then also having a famous family and like all the travel and the lack of consistency and so she shouldn't have been on tv yeah i don't know why they did that i don't believe that they just caught somebody's eye but she is obsessed with being like it was all my idea but then my parents whole thing is that if you're gonna do anything be perfect at it be the best at it so if i wanted to be into acting then i had to be on tv and it's like why couldn't you have done a school play i mean we see this in every single memoir of a child star they're like well i always had a a knack for like writing little plays and performing them for my family and it's like yeah you and every other fucking child on the planet yeah (laughs) She also gets into the fallout of her parents' relationship. She's a teenager at this point when she's doing Zoe 101, and I think she's acting out more in response to it. This is going to sound like I'm repeating myself, but this is a whole other sentence. My dad's longstanding habit of disappearing for weeks at a time continued despite the angst that it caused, and my mama enabled his behaviors. My mama's permissiveness created tension in our relationship and made things difficult for us. I couldn't make sense of how she could divorce him because of his irresponsible and neglectful habits and then rely on him to make sensible decisions about me and my siblings. It just felt wrong. Can you imagine fucking putting that in your book about yourself and then not coming out swinging against the conservatorship where he's in charge of her civil rights? No, I literally can't imagine. Also, to still be like, fuck my mom and not (laughs) this guy. I mean, five pages ago, he went to rehab and got his shit together. Now here he is stepping out again. So now she's on Zoe 101 and she gets into some of the drama about Alexa Nicholas. Zoe premiered on January 9th, 2005. And then within weeks, it was a hit. I mean, I fucking loved it. So there was drama we know between her and Alexa Nicholas, one of her co-stars on Zoe 101. She says that... Initially, the three main girls all became close friends, but three is the worst number for girls because invariably, another thesaurus word, one always feels left out. So her and Kristen got a little bit closer and Alexa felt left out. And supposedly Alexa started spreading rumors about her. Everyone was telling me that Alexa was the one making false claims. I went to the producers to share my concerns. Can you share what the false claims were? Because they make me laugh. That she was mean or bitchy. And then there were rumors that she was stinky and had lice, which I know hits close to home for Claire. Listen, that's not something you can help. It's a birth defect. (laughs) I will say in this setting the record straight, I think that she had planned to take the high road and be like, teenage girls will be teenage girls. And there was cattiness on set. That just is how it is. And I agree with that. I think that when you put a bunch of teenagers on a show together, there just is going to be cattiness. Someone's going to feel left out. Someone's going to be mad at someone else. But she does throw in this one little jab. So at one point when the rumors get really bad, Jamie Lynn brings Brittany, who at that point was pregnant, to come and talk to Alexa. And she says, Brittany had asked a PA to bring Alexa to my trailer. I was on set at the time. Alexa, who was really into fame and connections, was excited that my sister wanted to speak with her. Like You really needed to throw in that Alexa, who was just like a networking whore. <laughs> that social climber Alexa, the 12-year-old girl. 
she talks about the end of Zoe 101 and she says, Zoe 101 ends after four years because as Zoe matured, so did I. However, Zoe didn't have my real life challenges that stem from the burden of so much responsibility, homesickness, and the ongoing chaos in my family. Brian was trying to find his place in the world and Brittany was showing signs of a debilitating exhaustion. Brian had difficulty holding a job and Brittany was changing right in front of my eyes. Brittany had behaviors that would emerge for weeks at a time followed by periods of normalcy. She has this very bizarre view of childhood versus adulthood. The line that I think she thinks exists between them. She writes about her responsibilities making Zoe 101. And she says, I, I was expected to act adult-like yet be treated like a child. So she doesn't have the independence of an adult, but she is working like an adult. And I think that this line for her is constantly something she struggles with. This is like post-breakup with Justin. They're in LA for Zoe 101. And she says, we even considered moving in with my sister in Malibu, hoping to create a more cohesive family environment and to support Brittany, who was having a difficult time. As much as we all wanted to be together, it became increasingly obvious that something was out of whack in Brittany's world. So this is after Brittany's had two children and gotten divorced. She says, at first, I just assumed it was the fallout from her divorce and the media obsession with her. But my normally sweet and free-spirited sister continued to morph into someone else who is disturbed and paranoid at times. Once again, I don't know that she knows what she's saying here. She was disturbed and paranoid because of the media obsession with her. She has almost no empathy in that she constantly is like, I don't know why Brittany was freaking out. Maybe it was the paparazzi. And then like four pages later, we'll be like, the paparazzi was so bad that I would have a panic attack. And it's like, yeah, imagine what it was like for your sister. She says, sometimes she would lash out for no apparent reason or ignore me. Invariably, she loves that word. Invariably, Brittany would feel bad and later apologize. Anyway, it seems like the whole family was going through shit. She said that the typical mother-teen-daughter challenges plagued mama and me. We would lash out at each other and I pushed her buttons when I was particularly frustrated. And then she, again, tells a very specific story about this one-time incident where she says it all came to a head one day when she was emotionally strained and she snapped. She was angry and yelling at me, but when that didn't yield the desired effect, she started hitting me with a large beaded purse that had, among other things, a camera inside. She repeatedly swung the bag and landed several blows on my shoulders before she stopped. I left the apartment and ran to the shopping center next door where we lived. I used a payphone to call my brother. Brian, mama's going crazy. She won't let me call you or Brittany. There's kind of no more to that story. She just says she went to work the next day and the makeup artist noticed she had scrapes on her shoulder. But then she just moves on to her relationship with Casey Aldridge, who in this book is exclusively referred to as Casper. Yeah, so I cannot figure out, and if anyone has any insight into this, I've tried to look into it on the internet. I genuinely tried to do research. In this book, he is exclusively referred to as Casper. He's never referred to as Casper Aldridge. He's never referred to as Casey. I wonder if Casper is a, like, these names have been changed kind of thing because legally she didn't want to deal with the issues of saying Casey Aldridge, even though we all knew it's Casey Aldridge. Yeah, I'm sure that's, like, the only reason because no other name has changed. No other name has changed. And I've never heard the name Casper before in my life. Except for the backup dancer who dated Madonna. And the friendly ghost. Is it one of them? Part of me was like, is this like clever? Like he kept ghosting in and out of her life. And so he was like Casper. Oh. But I don't think she's that smart. I think she just thought that this was a reasonable name. I literally think it's the next name down alphabetically in a baby name book after Casey. Casper. At first I didn't pick up on it. And I was like, when is Casey going to show up? Me too. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe she had time to have this entire intense relationship with this boy from home. And we haven't even gotten to Casey yet. <laughs> Casey is Casper. Casper is Casey. So she gets more into her drama with her mom. She says life was demanding for me, but less so for mama. She even had daddy around when she needed him. At that point, daddy and I weren't speaking at all. I didn't want him anywhere near us. And the times mama would allow him the apartment felt like a betrayal. If I was home, I locked myself in my room whenever he came over. She knew how I felt. And as a result, my resentment grew. She says this was part of the problem is that her mom expected her to still do chores every day when she came home, even though she was working a 10-hour day. And I have to say, 
I agree. Like get a housekeeper. Yeah. I feel like if your teenager is working a full-time job, they like kind of shouldn't have to sweep. Anyway, so she says after four seasons, Zoe had matured to a point where ending the show felt right to me. And at that point, I honestly felt like I had outgrown her. Nickelodeon and I never had a discussion about continuing Zoe 101 in any form. It seems like it just, after four years, they were done. That's kind of the lifespan of a lot of those teen shows. They're not supposed to go on forever. She is upset, though, that people think it ended because she got pregnant. She's like, it was done and dusted before she got pregnant at all. I mean, I guess part of me does not believe that. And then she ends this chapter on this bizarre, like, plug. She goes, I am actively working to bring Zoe back to the screen. So they did a music video not too long ago. Quote, in an effort to assuage the fans. Yeah, they re-recorded the song. They did a music video. And she says, I am excited about the prospect of working on another Zoe 101 project, whether that be a long format movie or series. I mean, this is just like a weird time to plug that there could be more Zoe 101 coming because you are not in a good light right now, my friend. I wonder if the former co-stars who are like looking for a nice little check are watching the Jamie Lynn drama go down and be like, no, can we sex in the city, you? What if she was the Samantha of Zoe 101? Oh my God, what if they like kill her off and then the show resumes around the funeral? All the boarding school kids reunite for her funeral and then like kind of become friends again. This book does not go in strict chronological order. She definitely bounces around quite a bit. So she gives us a little insight into Brittany and Justin's relationship here, which similar to Lynn Spears's book, it seems like the family was extremely pro-Justin, which I have to imagine from Brittany's perspective is tough. That is awful when you're in a relationship that whether or not you cared about it, whether or not you loved it, when your family won't let go of your relationship, that's really fucking hard. And we know this is a relationship that was hard for Brittany to get over. So the fact that her entire family has now spent a couple of chapters in their collective books being like, man, it'll never get better than when you were with Justin. Like, that's tough. Justin's a cheater. Yeah. And a little bitch. So she talks about growing up on the set of the Mickey Mouse Club with Brittany and how they were all like big siblings to her. Plain and simple, I adored Justin. He wasn't just my sister's boyfriend. Justin was my first example of a kind and generous young man. She says basically because her father was not supportive figure in her life, Justin was kind of a father figure. And I kind of find it really toxic and bad that Brittany and Justin were kind of her parental figures when they were just... 20-year-olds trying to figure out their lives. One Christmas, he bought me a video camera. My sister will probably balk at my recollection, but I know that gift was all Justin. He knew that I loved to create skits and thought the camera would be another creative outlet for me. I appreciated Brittany's willingness to make me the third wheel in her relationship, and I am eternally grateful for the memories they gave me. My sister will probably balk at the recollection, but I know the gift was all Justin. Like, what a weird point to make. Yeah. Listen, I got a really thoughtful gift from my sister and her boyfriend, but I know that my sister had fucking nothing to do with it. She also then talks about their breakup. She says, unfortunately, I was deeply affected by their split. Like, do you know who else was deeply affected? Brittany. This was harder on her than it was on you, I'm assuming. So now she goes into this bizarre tone. And I do think we have to talk about the tone of this chapter is defensive of Brittany as if us, the reader, had been thinking mean things about her, which is a weird place to come from. I don't know if she thought people would be on her side going into the writing of this book, or I don't know if it was like a tactical move that an editor made. But she opens up, she goes... I watched as my sister became pop star Britney Spears and then one name icon Britney. Life for her changed daily, but oddly enough, for many years, not much changed in the terms of her role in my life. She doted on me as an infant and continued to do so as I began to sing and create my own skits. My sister showered me with attention, love, and praise well into my teens. Britney was cross with me just a handful of times. 
She was always supportive. Even when she got more and more famous, she would always make time to come visit her on the side of all that, on the side of Zoe 101. Beyond the support and adoration, Britney was simply a terrific sister. That's not just me paying homage to a living legend. For many years, she was good at keeping her persona out of our sisterhood. And then she talks about the way that their fame bounced off of each other and escalated. I think that's from Jamie Lynn's perspective. She says, I wasn't quite a household name yet, but if we went anywhere together, cameras and lights went off at fantastical speeds. Some people feel the paparazzi have the right to photograph a public figure no matter the circumstances, but what most people don't truly understand is that fame doesn't dehumanize you. It actually forces you to respect and appreciate your privacy. And she talks about the way that paparazzi chased Britney, Britney's law in 2009, a law that basically finally created a boundary for paparazzi that was based on the problems they'd created for Britney. Oh, so this chapter is called Never in the Shadows. I couldn't figure out who she was fighting against, but I guess she's fighting against the tabloids that suggested that growing up, it was so hard for her to be in Britney's shadow, which is funny because that is kind of the point of this whole book, that she was so scarred by her childhood being Britney's little sister that she needs some compassion in light of what's happened to Britney. But then this chapter is about how it was just as bad for her, that Britney was always a good sister to her. She goes, I worked hard for everything I had. There's no denying that Britney's fame opened doors for me, but once inside, I had to prove that I had talent and a strong work ethic. So this is why this chapter is kind of incoherent to me, because then... In the middle, she shifts to, in December 2003, my family spent Christmas on Kentwood. My sister surprised mom with a new Mercedes. On Christmas Eve, Brittany and Brian took the car and went out partying. Brittany was looking to party away the pain of her breakup with Justin. They caught up with Jason Alexander, an old friend from town. Jason had a reputation in town for being kind of a bad boy. They stayed out all night. The next day, the car was a mess inside. All kinds of garbage bottles and even razor blades littered the back seat. Horrified, mama wanted no part of that car, but it was Christmas, so we were all going to smile. I don't know. I guess if like your daughter bought you a car, okay, it's kind of obnoxious to trash the car she just bought you, but she did buy it for you. And I don't know, she's in her 20s and went through a breakup. She's allowed to party. And I think the crazy thing about this for me is all the situations that Jamie Lynn brings up specifically to prove how out of control Britney was, to me, always read like very regular behavior. Well, this one right here, she says they went on this vacation. So it was Britney, Jamie Lynn, Lynn, and then Lynn's sister, Sandra. She says, Brittany paid for the trip, but was not very attentive to the family. She didn't have any interest in being with her lifelong best friend, Laura Lynn, and left us to go do her own thing. She wanted to be anywhere but with us. I was particularly pained by her shunning. After years of making me a priority and spending time together, my sister was now moving on without me. I felt like I was Woody from Toy Story. I had been her favorite, and I was replaced by her version of Buzz Lightyear. Her indifference was hard for me to process. This is also just a 20-something who's not in the mood to hang out with her teenage sister. I mean, she says, we were getting dressed to go to dinner and I suggested a cute dress similar to the one Laura Lynn was wearing. Brittany scoffed. You want me to dress like a grandma, huh? This was the first time she ever snapped at me in such a dismissive way. Okay, as a sibling... Ashley, you're a sibling. Yes. If that was like the first mean thing in 13 years that your brother had ever said to you. I mean, me and my brother, when we were little, we used to like rip out each other's hair. Like we would like physically fight. We used to fight each other. I used to scream at him. I mean, we should call the moms in on this one. The decibels at which I reached screeching at my brother on a daily basis. For her to be like, things got different. When, after she became a celebrity, one time she yelled at me because I thought she should dress more conservatively. And I have to say, the irony is that later, Jamie Lynn Spears claims she almost had a mental breakdown because people wanted her to be different than who she was. When you're a hot 22-year-old, you're allowed to dress slutty. You're allowed to dress slutty and you don't have to want to hang out with your 13-year-old sister on vacation. Especially if your 13-year-old sister is a goody little two-shoes who thinks you should dress more prudishly. Yeah. Then she gets into the whole story. She goes, Brittany had no intention of slowing down. The partying continued that week. And then she gets into the story of 
how she married Jason Alexander. This obviously started a new phase in Britney's life where she was not the pure, perfect pop star anymore. I guess it kicked off with her breakup with Justin. That was the first time that she'd ever really been dragged by the media. She was such a shiny new thing for a long time. And then the media branded her a slut. It was awful. And then she gets married to Jason Alexander. That gets dissolved immediately. So now she's viewed as an erratic slut by the media, which just caused... I mean, the paparazzi were insatiable. Jamie Lynn tells this story that has been talked about quite a bit since this book came out, where Brittany at one point grabbed a knife and locked her and Jamie Lynn in a room and kept on saying, baby, I'm scared, and spent the night in Jamie Lynn's room because she was too afraid to be by herself. And she says, I knew something was very wrong and I was powerless to do anything about it. She talks about this story like Britney's behaviors were insane. And I do think that if you're being constantly stalked and left without a moment of privacy, it is fair to have fear and paranoia. I mean, Jamie Lynn talks about when she was young, noticing vans parked outside their house, just watching them for hours. Like she's not even paranoid. Paranoia suggests that you have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, that your fear's unfounded. She's responding to how she's being treated by the media. And Jamie Lynn again says, everyone was more concerned with the public perception than my sister's emotional state. Brittany continued to act erratically. All I wanted was her interest and approval. I wanted my sister back. But instead, I saw the depths of her difficulty. Everyone was too invested and didn't want to do what should have been done. Something was off and I had a shaky feeling when she left. It's very bizarre to me because I do feel like there is this part of Jamie Lynn that's saying, I noticed something was wrong with Brittany. She couldn't continue the way she was. Like she wasn't, acting stable, which, listen, unpopular opinion, I do think Britney was not in a good mental place. Yeah, we've talked about this before. We are of a similar mind that Britney wasn't in a stable place, but does that instability require her to have her rights stripped away from her? But I feel like at this point, for Jamie Lynn to be like, I see something was wrong, for her to not blame her parents and the team around Britney for pushing her to continue to work, that's what drove her to the brink. Right. If she could have been told, listen, you can take six months and just chill or like get over the breakup, why don't you just hide in Louisiana, just party here? Right. Like your behavior is getting increasingly erratic. What will help it is if we work you to the bone. No. Yeah. And it's weird that Jamie Lynn, I just don't understand who she sees as at fault. And it seems like she thinks Britney is at fault, but it's like, it was the people around Britney. And then I love this line. Brian's life was just as crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was. He was still struggling to work. Okay. I mean, that's not that crazy. Him and us both. Talking about Brittany, she says she began to experience a particularly difficult episode. My fun-loving and sweet-natured sister had lost her softness. This time I attributed her troubles to her divorce and having two babies in a single year. Again, she became distant. Even when we were sitting three feet away from each other, she was moody and her erratic behaviors were troubling. She's like circling the point so hard. She's just not smart enough to get there. She's truly one of the least intelligent people I think we've ever read. It's so crazy to hear her be like, yeah, maybe it was something about getting divorced and having two babies in a year. But I mean, what was up with her? And even like right before that, she goes, we all felt a great sense of relief that she was doing well. When she found love with Kevin, had gotten married and had two beautiful boys, her emotional fluctuations, which I called episodes, were well managed and no one ever learned anything about her struggles. My family believed that that was best for everyone. I went along with them because I was taught to support my family in all things. So I guess what she's saying here is she thought Brittany was bipolar or like I think the symptoms that have led people to diagnose Britney with bipolar disorder. Although we also have theories about why every pop star seems to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I mean, this is Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez, Britney Spears, Mariah Carey. The list goes on. Yeah, I also just think that the 
enormous highs and lows of superstardom packaged with zero emotional support create the symptoms of bipolar disorder. (laughs) I think it drives them to like the end of their stability. Yeah. And I think that's what she's trying to say here with her emotional fluctuations with which I called episodes. So it seems like what Jamie's trying to suggest is that there had been symptoms that she might be bipolar or acting manic and then depressive, the highs and the lows. And I also think it's so interesting that she just can't put together that they've been taught to placate Britney's every whim instead of supporting her. So she thinks that by just watching Britney experience erratic behavior, she's doing what's best for Britney instead of saying like, oh, someone should help. And I think she sees... I think she thinks that the conservatorship was help. She thinks that that was them stepping in to help her after years of no one stepping in to help her and then just working her to the brink of her ability to exist. She thinks that them now being like, all right, let's get some help in here means stripping her of her rights and autonomy. Yeah, my family believed that was best for everyone. I went along with them. I was taught to support my family in all things. It's very weird. I don't think she sees Brittany as a person. I don't either. Around these erratic episodes, after the babies, after the divorce, Sam Lutfi becomes part of Brittany's life. And Jamie Lynn is very clear about her discomfort towards Sam Lutfi. She says, I didn't want him anywhere near us. He's creepy and he makes my skin crawl. She, at 16 years old, knew that Sam was trouble. She didn't trust him. She says... I sense that drugs are readily available in her house. Although I never saw anything, my sister's erratic behavior was enough to make me cautious. I never ate or drank anything when I visited, fearful that something was dissolved in her Gatorades and juices. So she is keenly aware that her sister is taking drugs or being drugged. And she's just continuing to chill because she doesn't want to upset the system. I don't understand what she thought she was doing by telling us this. She says, the amiable Brittany was gone and her place was an agitated woman, angry enough with mama to yell at her in public. I mean, you too, Jamie Lynn. You also yelled at your mom. It's so funny for someone who's so mad at their mom to think that Brittany had no right to also be mad at the mom. When anyone else is angry, she's like, well, you're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I fucking hated my mom for asking me to sweep up. It's just so interesting that she keeps admitting to understanding that things were off, things were bad, and her sister clearly wasn't getting the help she needed as exemplified by Sam Lutfi securing such an important place in her life. But she feels completely powerless to it. And we remember this from Lynn's book. Lynn felt completely powerless to it. Everyone is just watching this happen because I think that they've been taught to believe that they can't interfere with anything Brittany is doing at any point. They just have to stand there. You know, like when there's like a fire in a building and then they put those big puffy things outside the window so you can jump out the window. I feel like Brittany is like a building on fire and they're just standing there with those puffy things being like, well, when she wants to jump, we'll catch her and then trap her in the puffy thing. I want to read this paragraph. So this is about her period with Sam Lefty when she was at the beginning of her breakdown. She says, I knew she had been through a lot in a short period and I thought that maybe the combination of stardom, motherhood and a public divorce was just too much to handle, rendering her vulnerable to bad influences. Her life seemed hazy. I was 16 and didn't understand the demons surrounding my sister. I only knew that something fell off kilter. But in reality, she was struggling to manage the fallout from Sam's scheming. This left her an emotional wreck with no one she felt she could trust. First of all, the idea that like, oh, I thought she was buckling under the pressure of stardom, motherhood, and a public divorce. I think she was. She probably was, yeah. Then the idea that, oh, the only problem was that Sam had gotten into her life. It's like, how did Sam get into her life? I mean, she could not trust a single other person she knew, including you, you dumb bitch. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you think led her to being so vulnerable and out of control that Sam was able to weasel his way in? Why did she trust him over her own parents? Because they had lost her trust first. And I feel like the whole thing is framed like, oh, Brittany was just this normal person who happened to get in the hands of a bad 
bad guy and we had to save her from that and that's why the conservatorship was there and it really ignores the fact that she was essentially in a conservatorship that led her into Sam. Do you know what I mean? Like she was part of a system that was controlling her and driving her to the edge. Right. Like we talked about this a lot in Who's With Tabs but so before we knew about the Free Britney movement when we were learning a lot about Britney's career we were watching it unfold like of course she was like a gasket that blew. The pressure that was continually put on her by every single person in the world is insane. And no one was protecting her from it. Her family, the people that should have been protecting her, were piling it on harder and harder. When you look at the timeline of events, you will have a double take. The amount of time she was given to recuperate from any of these massive episodes. And like the buildup that led to the first episodes. She put out three albums and then the My Prerogative and Greatest Hits. That was all within like four years with world tours in between. I mean, we'll get into it at the end, but when you see how little downtime she was given and you realize that she truly is just a product to her own parents and the people around her, it's disgusting. Yeah. Anyway, so I want to read just the end of this chapter. She says that to this day, Sam Lefty tries to get in their lives, that even recently he tried to get their mother into some money-making scheme and now the mom has... A restraining order. Which is just like, I cannot believe he's still in the fucking game. Like, go away, Sam Lefty. But she says, Bernie's behavior became more unstable until it all came to a head. This is in reference to the 2008 5150s that happened twice in a month. With the support of my parents, Brittany got the help she needed. At the time, the conservatorship was enacted and a restraining order was issued to protect Brittany from Sam. I have very little doubt that Sam was primarily responsible for complicating my sister's pre-existing emotional trauma. I knew Brittany had been through so much in the past few years and wanted to believe her downward spiral was temporary. Brittany continued to support my efforts and be the best sister that she could at that time. Spotlights on my sister were blinding and obscured her ability to recognize the dangers all around her. Dangers that still exist. Sometimes I feel like Britney's light was too bright and I should have done more to protect her. Yes. Okay. Should we break that down? Because I think that those are like three kind of whiplashy paragraphs. Yes. I think we have to. The thing that jumps out at me most is the acknowledgement that the pressures on Britney were too heavy. The lights that shined on her were blinding. So they put her in a conservatorship to protect her and then forced her to continue working nonstop. What? So I really do see now, in between the lines, the Spears family narrative is this. Brittany is bipolar. Because she's bipolar, she got trapped in Sam Lefty's evil claws. It is up to us to save her from Sam Lefty and any Sam Lefty that comes forward. We must control 100% who she comes in contact with. Of course, what it ignores, and the bigger problem is, I mean, I don't want to say if she is or isn't bipolar. I don't know. I cannot. do believe that she was probably predisposed to mental illness. Lynn is unstable. Jamie is an alcoholic. Jamie Lynn was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and OCD. Anyway, I think that that's their like messaging. And I think anybody with a heart can see, no, the problem is that she was worked to the bone. Right. And that it wasn't necessarily just the Sam lefties of the world that you need to get out of her life. You needed to allow this woman to take a break. And Jamie Lynn seems to like subscribe to this idea that the problem was Sam Lefty and her bipolar disorder. And that as long as they can get her medicated and isolated, then she's fine to keep working at the level she was working. When in reality, I think it was the level that she was working, the scrutiny she was put under. Right. That made her so erratic. And no one is fine to be working at the level that Britney Spears was working. Jamie Lynn is able to acknowledge on her side the way that she felt overworked and the way that her working too hard led to certain levels of exhaustion and bad temperament and things like that. But she doesn't understand that Britney was times 100, whatever she was feeling. I think that she just views Britney as such a superwoman. Yeah. 
Britney was this mother figure to her. Britney was this everything to her. I don't think she understands that Britney is just as human as she is. Jamie Lynn could barely handle the pressures of starring in Zoe 101. (laughs) Britney was a global sensation. No, that's really true. I do think that she doesn't say that in this book, but I yeah. that she has this sense of, well, it's just different for Britney. It comes so easy for Britney. It's like, okay, yeah. And they took that easiness and like bore a hole in her head with it. But then the next paragraph, I knew Britney had been through so much in the past few years and wanted to believe her downward spiral was temporary. Does that mean she would maintain that Britney's only gotten worse? Things are still so consistently out of control that she needs to be kept in a conservatorship. I mean, that's what that implies. So moving on, we get into the pregnancy. Basically what happened was her and Casey or Casper, whatever you like to call him, had been on and off. He was stepping out on her a lot. It sounds like he was kind of like an asshole. He was a typical teen boyfriend. Very jealous, cheating, blah. Yeah. They had broken up. She saw him one September, one last time. And at the end of Zoe 101, she was trying to decide what to do next. So she went on a bunch of movie auditions, including Twilight. And she says she was going to these and she was doing so bad. She was bombing. She was exhausted. She was puking all the time that she said, I can't take it anymore. I have to go back to Louisiana. And they decided just to send her to regular high school. Yeah, so she went back to Louisiana. She was going to regular high school. She still felt like shit all the time. And she had no idea why. And then finally, her friend suggested that she might be pregnant. And she's like, that's literally impossible. I haven't had sex in ages. And then she's like, oh, except that one time. She takes a test. And of course, she is pregnant. She tries to tell Casey. Casey's like, that's not mine. I won't take responsibility for this baby. And then she has to tell her mom. So finally, she gets Casey to believe that he is the father of this baby. He first thinks that she's not pregnant. Then he thinks it's not his. She repeats over and over again. He was the only person I'd ever been intimate with. She finally tells her mom and she like can't even bear to tell her. So she writes it on a piece of paper. Yeah, we actually got this story in Lynn's book too. Jamie Lynn, you're pregnant. Is this a joke? Mama reached out to Brian first and told him that there was a problem. I think Mama was so concerned with how Daddy would react that she had Brian call him. The next day, she showed up, and there was like an entire team in the kitchen. It occurred to me that this decision affected so many people. After school, I drove to the Walmart to buy a couple of burner phones, which was actually very smart. A lot of foresight. So she knew how fucking insane this team was. So this is late 2007. So this is after Britney has shaved her head, gone to rehab, and then been shoved back into the studio to record another album. This is like two months after the VMA scandal where Britney performed Gimme More and it was headline making. There's a lot of really not good publicity around her family right now. Now she is 16 and pregnant. Once mama and daddy told my team, things spiraled out of control pretty quickly. When I walked in, daddy, Brian, and mama were in the house and Miss Lou Taylor of TriStar, my financial management team, was on the phone. There was a whole lot of fighting going on between everyone involved. The entire Spears team was already caught up in my sister's PR difficulties and everyone around me just wanted to make the issue disappear. My family and management pulled me out of school until they could figure out what to do next. They took my smartphone away, fearing the news would get out and insisted that no one share any information with anyone, especially the press. So at one point, everyone is trying to figure out what to do. She says one person after another, and there were many, came to my room trying to convince me that having a baby at this point in my life was a terrible idea. There was a lot of conversation about aborting this child. They had a pretty rock-solid plan about how to do it without press. And then she goes, and this is very insightful. I will never forget when Miss Lou, that's Miss Lou Taylor, stood up for me and said, y'all can't force her to abort the baby. She was the first and only person on my team to show any support for my desire to keep the baby. So then... Her team comes back and goes, well, what if you go to Mercy Ministries, a home for unwed mothers in Tennessee, where eventually I could give the baby up for adoption? Can you fucking imagine thinking that a Spears baby should go up for adoption? That is psychotic. It is truly psychotic. I think that the reasonable decision would have been to pretend it was Lynn's or even Brian's, honestly. 
Daddy and I fought, slinging words and tossing insults. He grabbed me by the shoulders and held on tightly in the hopes of bending me to his will. I got in his face and yelled, no, I won't go. I'd spent my entire life trying to be the perfect daughter, performer, and professional. I was always under so much pressure to make everyone's life easier, including my own. I was all things to all people. Now the pressure to maintain that image and manage the disappointment was suffocating. With all the chaos surrounding my sister, I never wanted to be a burden to my family. My family had their own version of what was right. With the pregnancy, my sense of right became the opposite of theirs. I do think that that line, I never wanted to be a burden to my family, is directly stating Brittany's behavior was a burden. I mean, it was. <laughs> it was a burden, but in this way where if they wanted to let Brittany not continue to be their breadwinner, they could have. The public scrutiny is a lot for everyone to deal with, but you could bow out of the public. The amount of times that Jamie Lynn just gets to retreat to Louisiana and hide or live a normal life or do what she wants to do, Brittany never is given the option to do whatever she wants to do. No, she's not. Contracts were drafted and non-disclosures signed by Casper and anyone who might try to benefit from the releasing of the story. So this is now like winter 2007. Jamie Lynn ends up selling the announcement to OK Magazine and she says at that time the deal had very little to do with money and everything to do with limiting the potential media storm. I do believe she believed that. <laughs> but in the end the pregnancy article became a blend of coached answers and my own true feelings. They ended up not telling Brittany. So this poor girl I mean who did want her sister was told she wasn't allowed to tell Brittany and they said because it's too risky to tell her about the baby. Brittany's condition was spiraling into something more concerning. They were concerned that her instability at the time made her untrustworthy. Okay I'm sorry but at the end of the day this is going to come out. So yeah. who fucking cares if Brittany tells people? So so Britney found out when everyone else in the world found out on the cover of OK. I get that you're trying to control the media shitstorm. I do think they didn't want to lose out on the money. I wonder if that there's like a clause in the contract that if it's leaked before the OK cover comes out, that they don't get the full cash. I'm certain that that is the case. To not tell your sister is like fucked up. Yeah, she says mama wore her disappointment like her favorite jacket. That is hard. I will say I have a lot of sympathy for Jamie Lynn in this situation. I think that that is really fucking difficult. She obviously didn't get pregnant on purpose. She says she felt in every bone in her body that the right thing to do was keep her baby. And I think it's really torturous that her family kept telling her to get an abortion. Like she had money. Then what they do is insane. So to keep the story under wraps to make sure it doesn't come out before the okay cover comes out, they put her on a private plane, take her to an airport. They don't tell her where she is. And they put her in a cabin with her mom and one security guard. And they keep her there for like six weeks until the cover comes out. She's not allowed to talk to anyone. She's not allowed to do anything. She's just stuck there in the winter. Somewhere in random upstate New York in a cabin. I mean, that is insane. It's hard because on the one hand, obviously I feel bad for Jamie Lynn. But then I do think it's crazy that Jamie Lynn can't extend that compassion or understanding to Brittany. Right. Like, if they did this to me, what they do to you? Yeah, this is what they were willing to do to Jamie Lynn, who was just a passion project. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, she was their, like, vineyard. You know how rich people will just start a wine company for fun? Yeah. I'd be like, maybe it makes money, maybe it doesn't. But it looks cool. And then she gets into, like, once it came out, the paparazzi constantly hounded me. Having dozens of middle-aged men constantly following me around wasn't simply scary. It was creepy. They would follow her everywhere they went. Aren't you ashamed of yourself, Jamie Lynn? How does it feel to be the disappointment? And she talked about how scary it was. And again, it's like, how could you call Britney paranoid after seeing what her life is like every day? Taylor Swift, I've read interviews where she talks about how before she'll even try on an outfit, she has to have her security team sweep the entire hallway for like technology because she's like one naked photo of me could get somebody millions of dollars. Taylor Swift was in a suitcase. <laughs> I mean, it's not paranoia when you've been driven to it by the paparazzi. Yeah. She realizes that in order to do what's right for her 
growing fetus, she needs a little bit of independence. She's like, I need to be able to be a mother to this child. And her parents are obviously not giving her a lick of freedom. So she ends up exploring emancipation. So at the same time that her adult sister is being shoved back into a childlike status, she is 16 years old, pregnant, and looking to emancipate herself from her family. And who is helping her with this emancipation? Miss Lou. Lou Taylor. The same one who shoved Brittany back into their crutches. They were like, Jamie Lynn is pregnant and a a child star. Her show is over. She's having a baby. She is not worth a fucking dime anymore. Brittany, on the other hand, is a cash cow waiting to be milked. We've got to get her back in the fold. She goes, everyone involved with my saga reluctantly agreed that we needed to do what was best to avoid any more negative media attention. I understand that. I've never been in this situation. It was very different back then. It was so insane, the tabloid culture. But the way that you have two women whose lives are low-key at stake... And all anyone cares about is the media coverage. Nobody is worried about what would be best for anyone. And I'm sorry, I don't think the media coverage could have been worse for either. Everything they did to avoid negative media coverage failed. They might as well have just done something good for the people involved. Right? After threatening emancipation, it ends up not going through, but she does end up moving in with Casper and his family. Do you want to decide right now, are we calling him Casper or Casey? Caspi. Caspi. (laughs) So Caspi is a horrible boyfriend. He is constantly disappearing. He doesn't give a shit about her. I mean, they had broken up before she showed up pregnant. So they had no intention of ever being together, but now they're having a child together. And he is doing drugs. He's stepping out on her. It is just not a good situation. She says, my life became a delicate balancing act between keeping my romantic relationship stable and maintaining my health. So she was doing everything she could to keep their relationship afloat because she didn't want to deal with the negative press of pregnant teen is also single. And I got that. That's very like 16, 17 years old to be like, we are in love and it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people who were telling her that she made an enormous mistake, I understand the compulsion to be like, it literally wasn't a mistake. We're so in love. But of course, living at his parents' house doesn't work out. So she ends up buying a house for them in Liberty, Mississippi. They live there together. And I just have to quote this. He insisted on a room decked out in camouflage, (laughs) bedding and all, where he displayed his hunting pictures. Yikes, Jamie Lynn. So he is running her dry. She talks about the amount of money that she spent trying to keep him happy. It is devastating. He didn't seem like a genius, but at one point he's like, I want to go back to school. So she took out enough money to send him back to school. And then she goes, two weeks later, that account was empty and he had decided school wasn't for him. And I was like, why didn't you just pay the tuition directly? Like, I don't understand. You gave him $40,000 in cash and we're like, please use this on books. God. But meanwhile, Miss Lou and I, I hate that she calls her Miss Lou. It is me so, too. it made me like nauseous every time. I was like, this evil fucking bitch. Don't show her any Let's respect. Let's call her Lou Bitch Taylor. Yeah, Lou Bitch. <laughs> bitch Lou and I continued to build on our relationship and she was a big help to me in these first months. And then she said, but in the process, she positioned herself in such a way that made mama uncomfortable. I just don't understand how these parents keep on putting their children in situations to have two living parents in your life and to continue to seek out mother and father figures. That says something about you. Because she wraps that saga up by going, as for Mama and Miss Lou, they came together as guiding forces in my life and even coordinated the deal for Mama's book, Through the Storm, A Real Story of Fame and Family in a Tabloid World. Okay, very interesting that Miss Lou was able to make up with Lynn Spears when there was a book deal at bay. And then she goes, still to this day, I have not read that book. I saw firsthand the difficulties that Mama and Brittany suffered after my sister read it, and I wanted to avoid the possible outrage reading her words could evoke. So you wrote this book. What an interesting choice to be like, I won't read your book because I heard the whole family fell apart, but I will write my own. 
She is too dumb for words. Her and Caspi get engaged March 2008. She thinks, okay, now everything will be good. And if we've learned one thing from memoirs is that when celebrities get married to someone they shouldn't be married to, that does fix the problems. I will say, if anyone out there is struggling right now in a relationship, try marriage. And if marriage doesn't work, have a baby. (laughs) Move further from the people you love and see if being just alone together helps. Yes. On June 19th, 2008, I woke up like any other day, except this morning I was going to meet my baby. And I will say, this is insane. They had to schedule an induced labor because they wanted to control the media. And like, I understand that instinct, but God, that's so scary as a poor 17 year old girl. I can't imagine being told you have to have your baby early to trick the paparazzi. They have the baby at like 5 a.m. with full security detail. State troopers, she says. And then to get out of the hospital, they had to do like a fake out. Like a decoy bait and switch. She had to like send her baby home with a trooper. That sounds hard. I mean, my Mm -hmm. heart went out to her. I was like, I cannot imagine being in a situation where your newborn baby leaves in like an armored vehicle for its own safety. On her birthing bed as she is in active labor, Caspi asks for a new car. She bought it for him. Even though she had just also bought him a different car, but he's like, I need a safer truck. For the baby. And she's like, well, how could I say no to that? At the birth, I just want to note that Brittany was there. So this is June. Brittany had been 5150 twice in February. She goes, I'm so happy that my sister had recovered from her earlier breakdown and could share in the experience. Recovered. Three months later, things are so bad with Caspi that she's like, to take a break from him, I go on tour with my sister. Her light shine too bright. So you retire. You don't just go on tour with extra supervision. So when she gets back, Miss Lou came for a visit specifically to sit me down and present me with some painful truths. She didn't like the way things were going with Casper and felt like she needed to get me thinking about my future. There had been a lot of rumors that Caspi was cheating on her a ton. And this is one of my favorite lines from just a vocab perspective. She goes, the gossip about Casper's indiscretions turned factual when my team learned that his paramour was selling her story to the tabloids. A front page article would appear within days, reinforcing my mortification and repugnance. I hate that his paramour was causing her misery business. So she was about to leave him when what happens? When he gets into a car accident and he is banged up and she kind of, I respect the honesty here is like, for the most part, I couldn't leave him because that just wouldn't look good to be like, he is bedridden and I left. So that happened in April. She stayed taking care of him until the end of the year. In December, she goes, okay, I think that my duties are completed. (laughs) Yeah. She also, during this time, now that she's back in Louisiana a lot, because she's avoiding the hell out of her fiance and baby daddy. I think with a cast, he was stepping out on her. Yeah. I think he was like having her drive him to doctor's appointments and like cheating on her with the nurses. And then he was like, look over there. And then a woman would climb through the window. (laughs) So she's going back to Louisiana pretty often to avoid him. And there, her friend introduces her to her friend, Jamie Watson, who immediately takes a liking to her. She doesn't really think he's anything special because he's not. (laughs) He does not have an IT business, a very booming IT business. The most successful IT business in Kentwood, Louisiana. They become friends. They hang out. At one point, she realizes she kind of has a little bit of a crush on him. But she's like, I am still engaged to Casey. So we'll see how that goes. You know who he kind of looks like? Who? Randall Emmett. He looks a lot like the majority of Bumble. Just like no neck. There's like a shininess to the eyes that's almost off-putting. Do you know what I mean? There's something like... There's like a a shape to the shoulders that seems bad. (laughs) So she's finally able to leave Casey Aldridge Casper Blank at the end of 2009. And then she writes a pretty incoherent chapter 
called A Butterfly Gets Its Wings, kind of about her developing confidence. This is, again, that weird line she has between childhood and adulthood. She says, The complexities of being a child living as an adult exacerbated my anxieties to the point where instead of making difficult decisions, I made none at all. But I really want to focus in this line she calls herself a child having to live as an adult. She's not a child at this point. I think she's 18 or 19, which is young, but she's been working full time since she was a child. She was forced to grow up pretty quickly and she still has this belief held in her heart that she's just a kid. She made the decision to have a child, to try to emancipate herself from her family, to buy a house for her and her fiance. And then she's like, but I'm just a kid. To give her the benefit of the doubt. I think what she wanted was stable parents who were like not forcing her into an abortion. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? I think she would have liked to have been a kid, but unfortunately the situation around her... Anyway, so at the end of 2009, her and Casey break up for real. But in the meantime, she had been getting to know this Jamie Watson. They all started hanging out. And she says it was very platonic. He was just very respectful of her. He was great with Maddie. Yada, yada, yada. They finally, after a year and a half of just kind of like flirting, platonically hanging out, he kissed her. But then what does she decide to do? She decides to move to Nashville to pursue a music career. Miss Lou comes out and is like, all right, we need to get some money in your bank account so that we can get some money into my bank account, if you know what I mean, wink, wink. And they decide country music is the next logical step in Jamie Lynn's career. And in order to do that, she needs to be where the music is in Nashville. So she spends some time in Nashville learning everything there is to know about music. She goes, I was a sponge soaking up musical knowledge. I took guitar lessons. I learned scales and chords in the Nashville number system, a method used to understand chord progression. I don't think she knew a goddamn thing about music, but she went out there. Her and Jamie kind of split up because of the distance. And when she's out there, she decides on a trip back home that she should try to make it work one last time with Casey. Yeah, he starts looking kind of stable, trying to wiggle his way back into their lives. And he, for a moment is putting up a good facade. And she's like, all right, we'll see if this can work. Of course, immediately it turns out that he's no good. He starts telling her how to clean the house and won't get a job. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing telling me how to live my life when I'm paying for everything? So he goes home, steps out on her, and she's like, it's over. She calls her mom. Casper is gone and he is never coming back. She listens to us. I described some of the shrewd and twisted ways Casper had manipulated me, how I allowed behaviors that rendered us vulnerable to go unchecked. I confess that for months I fought against every warning bell in my head to try to keep us together for Maddie. Mama told me she didn't realize until recently that Casper had grown to be so utterly unreliable. That's weird to me because it seems like everybody knew the whole time. And he was constantly getting in trouble with the law for addiction issues. So at this point, Brittany's on the femme fatale tour. So they go join her. And Jamie is a conservator of Britney's life. Daddy, who had stepped up to help Britney during her difficulties in the past couple of years, was on the tour too. He helped get rid of the extortionists and conspirators in her life and had even committed to his sobriety and support of Britney. The conservatorship was just a small piece of his commitment to helping her. Okay. They stayed sober together and seeing my father put Britney's needs ahead of his own desires helped my old resentments fade. For a period of time, the conservatorship mandated that Brittany be drug and alcohol tested on a regular basis. My father volunteered to do it with her in solidarity. This was the first time in my life where someone was holding them accountable for their behaviors and the perpetual anxiety I lived with for so long finally subsided. I could stop worrying about their sobriety. She talks about how this really helped her get along with her dad. I slowly let him back into my life. I didn't just forgive and forget. There were stipulations that included healthy behaviors and absolutely no drinking. For the most part, daddy manages his end of the bargain until he doesn't and I have to kick him out of my life for a little while. This is still the man who until this year had complete control over Britney's 
I also life. just don't understand how she can have so much forgiveness for her dad. The fact that he can come and go with his sobriety. But meanwhile, Brittany, it's like, thank God Brittany's being held accountable. At this point, Jamie Lynn also goes to therapy, which she finds to be a really helpful tool in her life. And I think it helps her sort out a lot of her own issues. I don't think it offered her any perspective on anyone else in her life. Looking back, I think I spent so much time trying to be what everyone else needed that I never discovered what brought me genuine pleasure. In the meantime, as we said, her and Casper have a falling out. She goes, it's well documented that Casper struggled with drugs and alcohol and encountered difficulties with the law. So then she's back in Nashville. She's working on her music career and things are not going so well. She's working with a team that she doesn't feel have her best interests at heart or not necessarily her best interests, but they don't have her vision in mind. I began to feel like a puppet or that I was participating in a country music star summer camp. Nothing felt right. My irritation grew and I became very robotic in my response to the environment around me. I felt like a product, not myself. A doll designed to look the part. I just don't understand how she doesn't understand Britney's situation. I couldn't reconcile their creation with the very personal nature of my music. None of it felt authentic to me. Was I not enough? I began to doubt myself and that triggered a heightened state of anxiety. I once again lost control over my own decisions and felt adrift. So she is at a very, very low level having pressure put on her by the music industry and she completely loses herself. And yeah. she does not understand how her global pop star sister lost control. It gets so bad that she doesn't exactly explain what happened, but she basically says one day at a practice, she almost faints. And so she goes to sit down, which feels like not the truth because I don't think almost fainting one time would cause you to give up everything and move back home. But she says she was sitting down. My dad looked at me in the eye and said, Jamie Lynn, you should go home and get things right. I knew he was correct. I needed to slow things down. The fact that she's constantly allowed to go back to Louisiana to regroup is just such a luxury that she doesn't understand she has. So she goes home and she gets therapy to get help. I wanted a therapist because I was scared by what happened in Nashville and spooked by some of my sister's behaviors. I didn't want to slide into a place I wouldn't be able to pull myself out of. I sought a professional I had confidence in to provide guidance and insight. She gets diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and OCD. She says, the culmination of everything, pregnancy, public humiliation, stress, failed relationships, etc., was too much for me to handle. It took a lot for me to keep it all together. Now imagine that times 10,000, which is what Brittany went through and was given almost no help to combat and no break. Yeah, she also says she was put on pharmaceutical support. While effective for many, it didn't work for me. She said... I was able to get off of it and just talking about my anxiety has helped me. And it's just like, God, Brittany was on lithium for years. It's like it's so sick that Jamie Lynn doesn't have sympathy for her. During this time, she breaks her foot and ends up staying in Louisiana for much longer than she had intended, like six to eight weeks longer. During that time, she reconnects with Jamie Watson, who is an incredible help caring for her, caring for Maddie. They kind of fall in love again here. She moves back to Nashville, fires most of her production team. Her and Jamie keep the relationship alive long distance. And she ends up putting out her first EP as an indie record. So she decides that the industry is not working in her favor. So she decides to put it out independently, which once again, the music industry is evil and takes advantage of people. That year, Jamie proposes to her. In March 2014, after setting off on an extensive tour, I took an extended weekend break to get married. Almost a year had passed since Jamie proposed marriage. With the impending release of my album and the travel that would be required in support of the music, Jamie and I decided we should marry prior to the tour. So they get married in 2014. She goes on this tour. Road life is difficult. She makes it work. You know, Maddie's the light of her life. She does everything for Maddie, whatever. This next chapter is another reflection about how hard it is to come of age in the spotlight. 
The sacrifice for stardom. But at the age of eight, it didn't occur to me that I would have to give up anything. I didn't have the maturity or foresight to know what I would have to forfeit in advancing my career. Later, I would realize that I was forced to surrender control and my individuality. So, yeah, this is the thing that we always talk about. An eight-year-old wants to be on Nickelodeon. It's the parent's responsibility to let them know that this is like an irreversible decision. Yeah, and then she talks about how it can be so difficult on set because professionalism comes before everything. That constancy can be oppressive at times. The only reason why the public hears about the difficulties on set or tantrums by performers is because at some point, the pressure of life becomes too much to manage. And then she goes into this funny, like, sexist diatribe about how women get labeled divas more than men and how unfair it is. And I'm like, God, yeah, who's been the victim of sexism in the media? (laughs) Then she has a little body image section. She says they were always very celebratory of her most unhealthy eating habits. And after breastfeeding, Maddie made the decision to get her boobs done. But for nobody but herself. Nobody but herself. Of course, it always has to end with a note on Brittany. The responsibility that comes with success and fame can be overwhelming. For me, I felt the pressure to keep a show at the height of popularity to ensure everyone had a job and got paid. I've always kept my own support team small. But the bigger the star shines, the larger the team supporting the efforts become. An expansive team runs the risk of employing scammers and opportunists. I believe that Brittany's experiences with people who only wanted to use her tore away at her ability to trust others and left her vulnerable. She also writes about why they had to form the conservatorship. She says, I think their only intent was to keep her safe at a time when she couldn't do that for herself. My father, Jamie, who wasn't a stranger to difficulties, worked with lawyers and the court to develop a trust that would serve Brittany's interests. Brittany didn't reach out for help dealing with the issues she was facing. And it seemed that almost everyone on the team was more interested in keeping the money coming in than getting her the help she needed. I guess she doesn't see her parents as part of that team. Yeah. That's the mistake. Yeah, she says, I'm assuming this, among other things, is what led to the conservatorship that was established in 2008. Your own dad is like the scammer. The call is coming from inside the house. And then sometimes outside the house because he does disappear for weeks at a time. Lawyers and third-party entities were taking advantage of Britney's success at a time when she was suffering with what appeared to be some emotional issues. My sister didn't seem well, and those closest to her at the time, especially my parents, believed that the conservatorship was the best way to protect her and the fortune she had amassed throughout her career. I think their only intent was to keep her safe at a time when she couldn't do that for herself. I do feel like she is standing next to the point, but there's a wall. And the wall is pretty light. The wall is made out of paper, but she just like cannot get through it. She ends this chapter with, I think, a very real point where she says, many would say my teenage pregnancy destroyed my career trajectory. They couldn't be more wrong. I believe Maddie saved me from years of potential misery. And then she goes into basically, she's like, if I hadn't gotten pregnant and if I had been forced to stay out in LA and like make a go of it, I would have ended up like a drug addict. I think she's right that by not being able to stay in Hollywood. She saved herself. Yeah. So this next chapter is truly heartbreaking. It's called The Day My World Stopped. And it is about Maddie's accident. If you guys don't recall, in 2017, Maddie was in an ATV accident and almost died. And it's actually a miracle that she's okay and without lasting effects. Jamie Lynn just writes a really detailed breakdown of what happened that day and in the days that followed. I mean, they thought they lost her. Her mother-in-law called her mother and said, we lost Maddie. What happened is she's riding her ATV around a pond. It slips, falls into the pond and lands on top of her. So they couldn't get her out. Yeah, because she was strapped into the ATV. So when it flipped upside down and was hanging upside down in the lake, she was stuck underwater. They had to attach it to another bigger ATV and like drag it out. And luckily the EMTs were already there. So by the time they got her out of the pond, they were able to rush her to an ambulance. They took her to the hospital where she was immediately hella to a bigger hospital. Yeah, but she was underwater for about six minutes. Yeah, six and a half, they said. 
it was really sad and I'm sorry for them. I mean, I don't want an eight-year-old to die. Call me a crazy stone-cold bitch, but even I don't want Jamie Lynn's daughter to die. Yeah, I mean, this chapter was heartbreaking. You really felt her pain. And I mean, I know that Jamie Lynn is extremely capable of emotions. She just can't feel them towards her sister. One interesting aside is that Brittany and Brian were not brought in because they didn't want the press surrounding it, even though the governor was coming every day to check on Maddie. And like, obviously the news had broken. I mean, they're in the hospital. It's out there. She goes, but deep down, I did still want my brother and sister there to support us. I wouldn't let anything keep me from them in a time of need. Not even if someone told me it would help keep the press out. Still, we could feel the love and prayers all around us. I wonder what happened. Well, I'm sure they were told don't come. It's Also, I don't think Brittany is allowed to travel without permission at that point. So... Yeah, I do just think the obsession with keeping the press out is like at some point, I don't know, a child might die. Let Brittany come. Yeah. They're going to find out. Another really haunting part of this chapter. So Jamie Watson had been filming her on her ATV when she was riding her little ATV around the lake. He had caught it on camera this entire event. Before Maddie was awake, he asked Jamie Lynn if she wanted to see the video and started playing it for her. Which is... Truly one of the most unhinged things I've ever heard in my life. Because it was rolling the whole time. So he caught her on her ATV and then when the ATV flipped, he dropped the phone, but the sounds and everything was still recording. So he played it for Jamie Lynn, which is psychotic. Like ask her for a car when she's in labor. Don't play her a video of her daughter on the brink of death, you psycho. When the daughter's not back yet. At the end of this experience, she's so moved that she ends up converting to Catholicism. And she says she has found her purpose. And my purpose is to simplify and abandon the meaningless pressure of perfectionism and live in a manner that feels authentic to me. I will be honest. I thought she was going to be like, oh, I don't need to be a part of the Hollywood machine. I don't need to be a singer. I don't need to be an actress. I'm going to go to nursing school. (laughs) I knew that that didn't happen. But I was like, if this was a good book, that's what would have happened. The next chapter is called A Good Mom, and it's about the kind of mom she wants to be. So this is the chapter where she recognizes the mistakes she made with Casey. I can't deny that if the attempts I'd made to build a family with Casper had succeeded, I may have ended up just as I started. Fortunately, I had learned enough in my young life to recognize the discord between us would lead down an unhealthy path. And then she talks about how she thought it would be just Maddie and her, and the reason it took her so long to get together with Jamie is because she didn't trust herself to even pick a good partner. Yeah, that is vulnerable. And the chapter ends with her having Ivy, her second daughter. Weirdly enough, Ivy and Maddie are nine years apart, just like her and Brittany. And I don't think she views Maddie as a parent figure to Ivy, but she's not like great with parallels. Like she recognizes the parallels, but she can't apply them. Can I read a paragraph where my note was just, what the fuck are you talking about? Yes. She wrote, like all moms, I do need my own space. There isn't a whole lot of downtime in my life just by the nature of who I am. I need to have purpose in just about everything I do, but I do have a few guilty pleasures. After Jamie and the girls are asleep, I love mindless reality television like the Real Housewives. Late at night, you can usually find me staring mouth agape at something one of the wives has said while I fold giant load of laundry. Remember purpose? I also love to read scripts. I love to immerse myself in the world someone has visualized for the screen. When I can't find time for myself... I find great pleasure in a fizzy bottle of Coca-Cola, but just a little. I'm trying to set a good example. What are you talking about? This is where you see how she and Brittany are so similar, and I wish that they'd been allowed to be real sisters. When I need time away, I find my relaxation at the bottom of a fizzy (laughs) Coca-Cola. Was that paid? I think I was only mad that she was like, just a little. I was like, indulge, Jamie Lynn, indulge. Drink the whole Coke. (laughs) Her next chapter is called You Can Take the Girl Out of Louisiana. And it's about how, I don't know, she's on some show on Netflix called Sweet Magnolias. And 
She loves being home. She doesn't like LA. Everywhere she goes, she tries to make it a home. She's such a regular down-to-earth gal, blah, 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 blah. It just is so interesting the way she talks about how LA and like the Hollywood life is not for her, but she won't stop. I have to say, what, is she going to become a nurse? She's Jamie Lynn Spears. Why does she have a job at all? Just stop doing jobs. I think they might need the money, Ashley, in this economy. How much money has she stolen from Britney? That's not enough? The way she talks about getting back into acting, she says... Songwriting, which is basically storytelling set to music, reminded me of how much I adore being part of the visual medium. Yeah. I circled a bunch of words on this page because it was a real thesaurus one. On this page, she says the visual medium. She went to meetings with Netflix and Hulu where they talked about a myriad of topics. <laughs> Later, she was saying one of the things that surprises people about me is the dichotomy of my personality. <laughs> Anyway, so then she writes about her latest version of A Hollywood Life where she's on this show on Netflix. She says it's fun to not be the star, but she does love a photo shoot, which is acting with expressions and body language. And now that leads us to, I would call this chapter the climax of this book. It's where she finally acknowledges head on really like the conservatorship and her place in Britney's life by saying, none of this is my fault and you guys are so mean. I wonder when this was written in regards to the rest of the book because, oh boy, does the tone change. I think she made a market attempt to stay above the fray with the rest of the book. There was a lot of, I love my sister. We were just trying to do what's best for her. I was worried about her. This is daggers out. One of the first lines in this chapter, she says, at no point did my sister lift the veil on what or who is truly responsible for her challenges. By excluding this, she allowed an onslaught of hate that put me and my family at risk. I'm sorry, she put you at risk? She put you at risk. This bitch has been struggling for her independence for 14 fucking years and you're worried about your safety? I mean, who is helping her? Fighting for her life in there. She's been being drugged to all hell moments of lucidity in which she's being forced to record albums and tour. What the fuck is this? Her references to me left me reeling. I've only ever had her back. From the earliest days of Britney's challenges, I have protected her at every turn. Too young to know better, to understand that it's okay if you're not okay. I help keep Britney's emotional episodes hidden from the world. I don't know like what that means. This weird obsession she has with being like, I didn't ever let anybody know that she was having mental issues. We knew. The secret was not well kept. People were laughing at her mental issues. She writes, I continued to protect her until just recently when she decided I didn't need protecting and threw me to the proverbial media wolves. This is where I wrote, bitch, what? Despite her comments, I will still support what is best for her. I'm only saddened that in her current state of mind, she is incapable of supporting me in the same way. I want Brittany and the world to know that she isn't the only one who is left with the scars from our early years of delinquency and manipulation. You have scars from the emotional trauma of being manipulated by Miss Lou and the whole team. Brittany does not just have scars. She is still in shackles. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? She's not scarred. Yeah, you guys were both in the same shitty situation. So team up instead of not helping her. Then she goes on to be like, I'm immensely grateful for my career, blah, blah, blah. But I don't owe everything to her. My sister's diatribe assigns blame outward without any self-reflection. I don't know. I think you guys have punished her past the fact where she has to look inwards. Like she can't afford to look inwards right now because everybody's trying to prove her wrong. She has to stand up for herself because nobody else will. Yeah, and like, what do you want her to self-reflect and be like, you're right. I do understand how after 
some of my actions, I deserved 14 years of imprisonment. What the fuck do you think she has to reflect on right now? So then she goes back to the, Brittany was basically a mom to me and she tries to explain the relationship as like, as a child, I yearn for her approval the way a child wants a mother's approval. That's why I can never be honest with her. She goes, early on, I believe that if I tried to let her know how worried I was for her well-being, I would also risk losing my sister's regard and love. Later, I was caught up in my own life and my parents convinced me Brittany was fine. Clearly, she wasn't. In recent years, and this past summer in particular, when my sister spoke to the world about her feelings regarding my parents' purposeful strategy to garner fame, Brittany's impassioned statements included the wrongdoings of everyone involved without any reference to herself. In what way does she think Brittany needs to acknowledge that her imprisonment was her own fault? Like, what the fuck is this? Okay, so she shaved her head and did a little bit of cocaine. It has now come out that her dad had a camera in her room where he watched her all the time, including when she had sex with her boyfriend. I don't think that that's a look at your own wrongdoings. Jamie, Lynn, have you not seen what your parents did? Do you really still think it was like an equal, fair, honest attempt at helping Britney? Do you think that they were just keeping her casually grounded? No, they had her in jail. In her own life. She was imprisoned in her own life. She had no access to her own decision-making. She didn't have access to life as a citizen in the world. So then she goes into it. However, since Maddie's accident, she's completely changed her life. She doesn't want to be a part of the Hollywood rigmarole or whatever. She goes, I've seen since I was a young age how awful the paparazzi can be. We've always been critiqued and evaluated by the world at large. Therein lies the rub. No one knows better than my sister how calculating the press can be. How everything she says is spun and revised to suit a purpose. In our world, words matter and should be used purposefully. I mean, literally, her life has been spun to make the world believe that she doesn't deserve control of her life. I mean, the only stance she should have taken is I had honestly no idea. I like stupidly believed my dad. Now that I'm seeing in court what was actually happening to her, I regret not standing up for her. That's what she should have taken. But the fact that she's still holding that it's like, I don't know, there's two sides to the story. Yeah, and one side is definitively in the wrong. I mean, she's literally saying there are two sides to every story and Brittany needs to admit that she deserved some of this. That's insane. She says, if I'm guilty of anything, it's enabling the situation to continue by not speaking up earlier in her career. I mean, that's literally what you're guilty of. No one is saying that you had the capability of freeing Britney from this situation, but you did have the ability to speak from someone who is being legally bound not to speak. You were free and Britney was not. You had the freedom to speak on her behalf and you didn't. And that is actually what you're guilty of. I often wonder if I had, would it have made any difference? Yes, probably. <laughs> there are things I said to keep my family's name unsullied by gossip and other things I should have said when I sensed something was amiss. Um, this obsession she has with being like, listen, I didn't want our family's good name besmirched by the public. You guys are some of the most disrespected trash in the tabloids. Like, no offense to the Spearses, but there is not a family that's been more maligned, rightly, wrongly, whatever. But like, this idea that you're trying so hard to keep your name out of the it's the jig is up, lady. You're in the public and we're talking about you. <laughs> Might as well speak your fucking truth. It just is so batshit crazy to me that she does not understand where Britney is coming from in any of this. So she tells another story about Britney lashing out during quarantine. She says Britney became enraged about something trivial. And it's like, I don't know, what drugs were you guys forcing her to take at that point? What is trivial? At this point when there's this much trauma and toxicity and abuse, nothing is trivial. Right. Nothing's trivial anymore. Also, I'm sorry, but like sisters fight. That's the irony of all of this is that I'm just like, yeah, me and my brothers still become enraged at each other. I would never be like, he deserves to be in a conservatorship. <laughs> Siblings fight. She says that Brittany became enraged. She came at me screaming and getting up in my face while I was holding Ivy, who was only 22 months at the time. Despite my best efforts, Brittany continued on the attack and Maddie had to get in between us to protect her little sister until my parents could finally get Brittany to retreat. 
The girls and I were visibly shaken. I decided then and there, no more. Mama begged me not to upset my sister. Jamie Lynn, please don't upset your sister anymore. You know how she is. She can tell when you're anxious. I stood mouth agape. I couldn't believe she was asking me to put my feelings and those of my children aside to once again pacify my sister. Experiencing this dynamic as an adult and a mother was the catalyst I needed to remove myself from the situation. I wouldn't ask my children to pretend everything was fine to soothe my parents or sister, nor would I continue to do so myself. Although the pandemic necessitated that we stay together, I made certain that the girls and I distanced ourselves from that cycle of behavior. I just think that at this point, she's putting herself in a position where there's no way she didn't know about the level of abuse Brittany was experiencing. So they were quarantined together and she's like, oh, Brittany flew off the handle. Like, of course she did. She says that Brittany asked her to become the trustee for her two children only in the, the event that she would not be able to do so for herself. This was separate from her team's request for me to reside as a trustee over her children's trust in the conservatorship. After several months and careful consideration, I decided to remove myself from that role, citing that the developing issues could potentially create a conflict. I have never participated in the conservatorship as my sister's personal representative or her financial conservator. She goes, I have never made a decision for my sister. I think that she thinks we're mad because we think that she was in control of the conservatorship or Britney's finances or whatever. Like, I truly don't give a fuck whether or not she was an active part of the conservatorship. I care that she knew what was going on and did nothing to help her. In 2008, when the conservatorship was implemented, I was a 17-year-old girl with a new baby. My focus was single-mindedly on my daughter, Maddie. From my perspective, I only knew that my sister's behavior had changed drastically in the previous year. The world saw she was in a crisis, and it appeared that the conservatorship protected her at a time when she was in need. And now, none of this has anything to do with me other than Brittany is my sister. That's sick that she thinks this doesn't have anything to do with her. She claims that Brittany has sent her a text that said, I know it's not your fault, and I'm sorry for being so angry at you. Although I'm your big sister, I need you now more than you need me and always have. I pray for the day that she shares these words with the world. I don't know. You don't look good in those words. Why aren't you helping her? She says that she needed you. She needed your help and you're not doing it. And she's also apologizing. Okay, she's in a stressful situation where maybe she's like lashing out, but she sees it and she's asking for help. She says, it took 20 plus years for me to learn what a healthy devotion and loyalty to family look like. I still feel that like every family, our family should be given the same consideration when dealing with personal issues and trauma. So you actually don't deserve that same consideration because when you guys are left unattended to deal with personal decisions and trauma, you trap one of your family members into a deeply toxic and abusive situation. So you actually don't get the privacy because when given privacy, it's 14 years of abuse. And when people found out what was going on, they were able to help your sister because you wouldn't. It's unfair to assume that Britney's fame excludes her from the right to privacy or that of her family. Um, your family doesn't deserve privacy, actually. It's not the fame. It's the abuse of personal rights. Yeah. But privacy hasn't been afforded to any of us. And my parents' determination to keep Britney free from embarrassment and public humiliation may have come at a high cost that wasn't in her best interest. Her freedom. Her freedom. And also, you guys were using her as like a moneymaker. This is the main thing that Jamie Lynn is not understanding. It's that to keep Britney free from embarrassment and public humiliation... You could have taken her away. Where did they take Jamie Lynn when she was pregnant? You guys have places to hide. They could have swept her away and helped her establish a private life. Instead, they kept her recording albums, doing world tours, Vegas residencies, in the public eye, but without any autonomy. What the fuck is that? You think that that's free from humiliation? It's so disgusting that she doesn't understand that what they did was horrific. Life is a series of lessons that challenge us. My faith, tested and reaffirmed, ensures that I protect my family, offer unconditional love, and share the values I embrace to lead a moral and good life. I have learned not to enable, and as much as I want to, I can't help someone who doesn't want it. 
Devotion and trust are earned and, if we are lucky, reciprocated. I continue to learn as I go, and I know that I have many challenges yet to endure. This all boils down to knowing who I am and living authentically. I must admit, though, a little more faith and focus on our blessings may have made a difference in the past. I know it does now. (sighs) I am giving the middle finger. Breaking the cycle. So this last chapter is kind of just about how she wants to break the cycle for her daughter, give her a father that she can count on, give her consistency in her life and routine. She also says that she wants to break the cycle of silence and doing what's best for the press. She says, silence goes against living authentically. I consider why I feel as I do and what addressing the issue will do. And then I share. She also sums it up talking about the current state of her relationship with her sister. She says, the ambiguity of her conservatorship testimonies and social media postings have left me wondering what it was all for. I miss my sister, but I can't take blame for things I haven't done. I understand getting this much internet hate puts you on the defense and it's hard to reconcile your actions. But if she truly thinks she hasn't done anything wrong, she says, Brittany's description about the way that she has been managed and treated does nothing to break the cycle. All of us have to manage our lives and struggles the best way we see fit. So she was not given the opportunity to manage her own life the way she sees. She was forced into a situation where she had no control over her own life. So ironic in this very sentence, she is doing exactly what she accuses her mother of. Brittany's description about the way she has been managed and treated does nothing to break the cycle. She's sitting here and saying what Brittany did by not keeping quiet, by breaking the appearances to the public was worse than what her parents did to Brittany. Yeah. Which is exactly what she claims she's trying to fight against. This idea of being like, I'm tired of keeping silent. I'm not going to pretend things are okay when they're not. I'm going to start being honest. And yet when Brittany's being honest about what's happening to her, she's like, that doesn't break the cycle. Why did you have to sully our good name? Yeah. When Brittany is breaking the cycle, she's putting our entire family in danger by making us look bad because all we did was ruin her fucking life so that's the book that's how it ends she says she's happy with her new life and it just ends and yeah i mean so on the patreon this week we're gonna get into a refresher of the britney timeline we're gonna fact check some of the things she says in this book we're gonna look at the press the call her daddy interviews the back and forth between her and her sister online then alexa nicholas back and forth and that's all gonna be on the patreon but for now as we sign off ashley yes claire do you have any final thoughts about this book Yeah, I think it's deeply ironic that she calls it things I should have said and her regrets about the things that she did and did not say have nothing to do with like the health and safety of the people who needed it most. She says the things I should have said, this is in reference to the fact that like she should have said more things to protect herself against the public and that Britney's 14 year conservatorship was just deserved because Britney didn't take responsibility for her actions. Like I truly, I wanted to read this book without getting emotional because I mean, I'm not saying I like wanted to be on Jamie Lynn's side. I didn't want to get fucking heated. And I was sitting in a coffee shop finishing this book, like about to throw my pen across the room. I was like, I truly cannot believe the words I'm reading right now. This bitch, I just, I can't believe that she has no concept for what's happened. And it's not her fault. That's I guess thing. what I can't believe is the lack of team. I do think that this book was based on the advice of maybe a Lou Taylor or somebody else who is like an absolute idiot. But the fact that people came in and thought this was the way to play it, someone should come in and said, whatever your truth is, fucking bury it because it will get you murdered. You need to play this smartly. I cannot believe she like honestly wrote how she feels and not like a PR version of it because this is so bad. And I like you, I wanted to go in and be like, she's also the victim of abuse and who knows what the hell has happened to her. And I think that whole experience she went through with the pregnancy sounds awful but the fact that to this day she has not aligned herself with Britney as two people who suffered and instead it's like I suffered for Britney and Britney's just 
living her life however she wants. Yeah, Brittany like, should really review her own actions and think about what she's done to get herself in this situation. Like the victim blaming of it is actually insane. And I can't believe that somebody let her publish this. They want her dead. I really think this is like a death wish against Jamie Lynn that somebody let her write against herself. I actually do believe that there was a team behind it. I think they no, thought this was the move. I mean, but I'm saying I think that this was actually carefully planned. I think that they thought this perspective would be well received. Well, I mean, that's stupid. Absolutely insane. There's no reason for them to have thought that, honestly, because of the backlash that came out when she tried to name her book. I must confess. Which is absolutely unhinged. And there was such hate for that. For the last few months, she's been called Judas Spears. I'm sorry, but they needed to know that this was not going to play well. And they let it go out there anyway. Yeah. We did not need long-form content from her. I think that she could have done best in, like, a quick essay. I think she should have, like, gotten off social media altogether and hoped that people forgot Brittany even had a sister. That would have been the right move, for sure. But then she wouldn't have been able to plug her potential Zoe 101 reboot. <laughs> anyway, you guys, this has been brutal. I'm sorry that we had to spend any money on this book, but we did it for you. Hopefully now you guys don't have to read it. I feel like we were pretty thorough. I guess I think it is pretty shocking that this book mostly is just about Jamie Lynn trying to be like, here's the story of my life. And it's like, I literally don't care. If you take Britney out of this book, if you remove the fact that Britney Spears is her sister, this is just a deeply unremarkable trip to Hollywood and back. Yeah, she starred in a Nickelodeon show. She had a very bad country music career. Like overall, there are hundreds of people who have had the exact same trajectory as her but their sister wasn't Britney Spears and they didn't fully betray them so with love and light Britney <laughs> with love to Britney and uh fucking flicking the noggin for everyone else and we love you guys we'll see you next week and thank you to our five-star reviewers <laughs> This week, we are starting off with our reviews from Jolly Old Ireland. Thank you, Grania, for sending them over. Thank you to Sinead MD. You are my favorite singing doctor. Thanks, Sersha F26. Thank you for hosting Saturday Night Live that one time I got to go see it and see you two live. Thank you, Murian OC. I loved you on the OC. Thanks, Grania. Thank you so much for really spelling it out. Thank you, Siv E. I appreciate you with a capital E. Thank you, Grace Kell. You are shockingly elegant. Thanks, MGC999. Let's turn it up to a thousand because that's how much I love you. Thank you, Karen H. Dot underscore. I hope that underscore was left as a blank for me to tell you how much I appreciate you. And if you guys want me to read the reviews from your country, send me a screenshot because Apple iTunes does not let me see them. And now we are going to the US of A. Thank you, Lisa's Walks. If you're going to be a college dropout, I support you. Thank you, Mace01. Stay safe out there, but don't spray it in your own eyes. Thank you, Taylor Koo. Oh my God, who are we overthrowing? Thank you, Magsters. You are a mag star to me. Thanks, Sugar Bakings, the sweetest in fucking town. Thanks, Quinn Bogue. I'll tell you what, this review is certainly not bogus. Thank you to Claire's Bench. You have caused me a lot of trauma, but I still love you. Thanks, MSSO. This gave me the serotonin I needed. Thanks, Roberta Claremont. I think I'm going to use that as a detective name if I ever need one. 
Thank you, Joe, Joe, Joe. You are the only three Joe bros I need. Thank you, Romer, Romo, Grammo. Uh, I'll save that one for the gram. Thank you, Mimi, 2016. You're my favorite thing about that year. Thank you, VJ. Mm, this review was delicious. Thanks, Camera Nut 6700. I cannot wait to see the pictures you've snapped. Thanks, Michael Campos. You've built a pretty sick base camp. Thank you, Emmy Kins 97. Looking at this review on the internet, it's my favorite Webkins. Thank you, Plain Toasted with Cream Cheese. A perfect bagel order for a perfect person. Thank you, D. Lawton. We are laughing our asses off together. Thanks, Kate S.B. A perfect dunk. Thank you, Gail Force Uno. You are numero uno in my heart. Thanks to Emma Bum Bum. You've got a phenomenal bum. Thank you, Tibby Dibby Doo. I am petitioning for Fred Flintstone to change that to his new catchphrase. Thanks, Phil Zero Sophia. I love you both equally. Thank you, Shano CS. I see you and I appreciate you. Thank you, Ellie 1020. Well, to me, you're a 20 out of 10. And that's all for this week. Thank you guys so much. I adore you to the end of the friggin' earth, which might be flat. Okay, bye.